House of Cards. Chapter 62 is over, but we're just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now, here are the guys who are getting ready to shred all the podcast notes. Rob, Rob, Zach, Zach, how are you? Uh, you're going to need a pretty good shredder to shred, like, what, like 10 pages of notes that you have today? Yeah, I only have eight, a uh, little bit less than what I had for uh, chapter 61. Uh, in, the, in the words of my good friend Bryce Isaiah, uh, it's a lot happening on House of Cards. Yeah, that is a, that is an understatement. This was an episode. An Underwood statement, more like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was, this was cram-packed, like, uh, you know. I don't even know what we would what we would compare this to in the House of Cards universe. Cram packed like that congressional hearing hall that we saw at the end of the episode. This is uh, lots going on in the in the Frank Underwood world. Right. So um, many things going on. Uh, things are getting to a uh, slow boil for uh, the Underwoods and a surprise reappearance by Garrett Walker really upsetting the whole apple cart. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't much of a surprise for me because I looked up during the opening credits right when I saw Michael Gill's name come up. And so I knew he was going to be in the episode and it kind of spoiled the surprise. But, um, you know, in, in this season where they're bringing everybody back, uh, you know, it's it's not that big of a shock to see Garrett Walker show up. OK, do you like Garrett Walker better here or on Mr. Robot? So I like him better on Mr. Robot, but I feel like he seems more competent now. Than he did in his earlier appearance on House of Cards. So I don't know if maybe the experience in Mr. Robot helped him um, or he's just grown as a man not being president anymore. But uh, he seems to have his stuff together much more than he did a few years ago. Yeah, I don't love him on Mr. Robot. I, I do like him here as Walker coming back. And uh, he is a key cog. Also, uh, Ian McCallan is dead. Right through the eye. Yes. Uh, suicide or murder? Suicide. Okay. I don't think there's any doubt. Do you? I mean, the thing that gave me pause was when we saw Jane Davis shredding his file. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I think they were just watching him. Maybe, you know, maybe they even made a deal with him where they said, listen, there's no getting out of this. Like, just take your own life. You know, he clearly felt that he could be better service to take down the Underwood administration dead than he could be alive. I mean, the other file folder that she was shredding was who? That was the scientist from the also uh, yeah the also dead, and then she was putting other file folders in there. So, but we didn't get to see who else it was. Yeah, we don't even know. Yeah, you know this this episode touched a lot on the uh, casualties of the Frank Underwood administration and the people who have died because of Frank Underwood. Oh, good. I like the, you uh, putting a theme together in terms of uh, everything that we're talking about here. Sometimes it's hard to do. We absorb so much. Take a step back. Yeah, occasionally they have some overriding theme on the episode, and I feel like that was definitely one this time. All right, let's go back to Frank's meeting with Walker. Claire told him not to do it. I, I am sensing a theme here in House of Cards. The Claire Underwood is never wrong is a theme for me that whenever she has an idea, and it didn't used to be this way. She used to have bad ideas and bad advice. But at this point, she's the one. We always see her wearing the white I believe that she is on the side of the uh, correct decisions in this season. Frank Underwood should always listen to Claire at this point. Yeah, I think that that is definitely something that we, you know, we could probably go back and look at our notes and listen to what we've said about that. Um, and going forward, that's a good that's a good lens to view this season. I, I do think we're seeing a lot of Claire Underwood in white. She painted her office white this episode. So, you know, they're, they're really driving that stake home and, 
Um, we've always assumed black equals power, white equals weakness, but maybe they've changed it up and white equals right and black equals wrong. Okay. And so Claire Underwood tells Frank, don't go meet with Walker. He's like, oh, I need to go do that. Uh, you know, he sort of like dresses her down at one point and says, look, it's your, it's your job to advise the president and I will make the decisions. And, you know, not a good idea based on what we're talking about right now. And the meeting with Walker, I thought seemingly went well. You know, maybe Frank Underwood was uh, a little bit on Walker's nerves. I didn't see the moment where Walker decided, you know what, I'm taking Underwood down. No, I didn't see where there was a moment within there. I didn't see if there, you know, I don't have anything written down where there was a a, a phrase that Frank said. Um, But I was completely expecting as soon as they said Walker was going to testify. I was like, there's no way he's taking the fifth. He's going to, you know, something very dramatic at the end of the episode. He's going to change his mind. And that was pretty much what he did. Yeah, the last thing from that conversation was that Frank Underwood says, this is just the beginning. You and I are going to work together. You you and I are going to be working together a lot more from now on. And was Walker like, ah, anything but that? I don't think it was that. I mean, I, you know, he asked right before that about, about the president's wife, uh, about Trisha. And so maybe, you know, maybe this reminded Walker about my wife out of this. Yeah. Like in what, you know, she went through psychologically, everything they put his family through to get this power. And maybe that's what reminded him. You know, I think, you know, the idea that they're going to work together, that might not be the worst thing in the world. I don't know. It's still beyond me why he did what he did. But I don't know necessarily how we get around this, Zach. Yeah, this is one. And Frank doesn't seem to know either because, you know, Claire, who you just said is always right, said, you know, we're going to get through this. And Frank looks at the camera and says, I'm not sure we are. Yeah. She says there has to be a way out. And he says, was there? Is there? Will I forever have a target on my back? Well, yeah, probably. But, uh, you know, let's get through this, Frank. Yeah, this this show is becoming sort of and maybe it's always been like this, but it is very Game of Thrones where uh, whoever's the king, everybody's going to be coming for that crown. Sure thing. So what is the answer for Frank Underwood? I mean, is it sort of this situation going on with the gas attack where Frank Underwood is going to take America to war to get the mind off of this? That does look like where we're pointing. You know, do we see something where he tries to discredit Walker saying fake news? I mean, this is Walker is Uh, the guy who was uh, objection, uh, Your Honor. This is not just fake news. Uh, I'd like to call this very fake news. (laughs) Uh, uh, Walker was the one dealing with China It was not my idea Uh, And uh, back where I come from We have a little phrase that we like to call Whoever smelt it, dealt it So I actually think it was President, former President Walker's idea And so then Walker gets up there and says Actually whoever denied it, supplied it And (laughs) we just go back and forth in a circle Yep, this is just the Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably right. I mean, that that would be quite the way to take us through our last three hours of this show. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. a verbal sparring match of insults. Uh, I'll take Frank Underwood probably uh, in that. I mean, he was getting people to uh, like, uh, give me some dirt. And everybody's like, yeah, you're right. We, we need, we do need dirt. Yeah. <laughs> Forget <laughs> iPhones. He beat Walker once before. He can beat him again. Yeah, well, I mean, Walker is the least imposing of anybody that Frank Underwood has faced in five seasons of the show. He does look a lot older than he did, I feel like, on when he was on the show the last time. Walker? I don't know if that was, yeah, I don't know if that was makeup or I mean, it has been a few years and the actor has just aged a little bit, but 
Yeah. I noticed that he looks a lot older. I guess so does Frank. Frank is like all white hair now. In the fiction of the House of Cards universe, you and I speculated earlier this season of how did Walker come to power? And in, I guess, you know, we have pictures of Bill Clinton and George W. Bush in this universe and Al Gore. How did this ultimately happen? And so uh, we had speculated, did Walker beat a 2008 Barack Obama in primary? And, you know, based on what we're seeing, uh, Walker is in his, what, his second term? Uh, no, Walker was in his, he was in his first term. He was he in his first in. term. Yeah. So, that, so I was rethinking this. So maybe that in this, you know, alternate universe, John McCain uh, or some other Republican beat Barack Obama in 2008 and then Walker defeated them in 2012. And that's ultimately uh, where the Walker administration came in. Yeah, that that makes sense. And we do hear Walker talk a lot about how he came in. You know, he was had a lot of vision and he was very optimistic and wanted to create a lot of change. So, uh, you know, we're hearing the hope and change from Garrett Walker. Right. So maybe that Garrett was the uh, change candidate after, you know, McCain came in and people felt like, ah, okay, this is uh, boring. He's too old. We need the new hotness of Garrett Walker. Yeah. Oh, man. Walk on down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, and and you kind of feel bad for Garrett Walker as he's talking about this. I mean, he did come in. Sounds like he was a good person and just got totally chewed up and spit out by the system led by Frank Underwood. Uh, but he actually did seemingly want to want to be a man of the people and work for the people. Right. But in the worldview of House of Cards, uh, that type of idealist really has no chance in the universe that this show takes place in. Yeah, not a chance. And probably the real one also. But uh, that's neither here nor there. No. Yeah. So what I mean, what do we do here? I mean, it feels like that uh, things are really uh, circling the drain. Frank, Frank Underwood, although I feel like we've said that before. Yeah. I mean, and as we're getting closer to the end of the season, things have to pick up a little bit. You know, maybe do we see Frank Underwood being impeached in the next episode? Um, do, do we see more? I don't think we're going to see a, a lot more of this like testimony. It seems like that could, you know, it could turn this into like a courtroom drama. And that's not really what this show is. Yeah. But, you know, we'll definitely see fallout from this. And I would guess we're going to see fallout from uh, whatever's going on in Syria. Yeah, well, only three hours left of this season and really uh, so many balls up in the air in terms of uh, what's going to come down. I was kind of hoping we would get a Jackie Sharp sighting. Yeah, they referenced her. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see her at some point um, later on in this season. But I don't think we're going to get Remy, but we'll probably get Jackie Sharp. You think so? I feel like if we were going to get Jackie Sharp, I feel like we would have gotten her already. I mean, they they brought her name up. So, you know, they're reminding people of her. Maybe she comes in to defend her honor um, in in some of these impeachment hearings um, or whatever kind of hearings that we get moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the McAllen stuff because I'm also pretty confused here as to what's going on. McAllen reappears in a parking garage to Leanne. I'm not sure how he got out of custody. I mean, what did they get him out? I mean, was he sprung out? I mean, what did he break out? Do you have any sense of what the real story is here? Yeah, I don't know because he was not in America. And, you know, maybe this leads to some of the Jane Davis stuff because uh, Jane Davis said that it was too early to bring him back. And Frank said they should bring him back. So maybe she, you know, maybe Jane Davis did something to bring him back 
behind the scenes that we didn't see. And maybe we'll learn more about that. You know, the other option is McAllen seems like he has a lot of connections, both in America and, and maybe connections he made in Russia. And that helped him get back to the United States. Um, but they, they definitely didn't show it. And I would think that at some point it will come back around either this season or in a future season. He finds Leanne. And then uh, Leanne is trying to talk him to like, okay, come with me. Ultimately, she gives him a gun and they have a kiss on the mouth, I believe. Yeah, that was a a kiss on the mouth. um, And she gave him a gun. Nothing, nothing gets everybody ready to make out like a gun, I guess. So are we to believe that Leanne and McAllen were an item this whole time? So that was what I thought. But then when we get a little bit further down, I'm now questioning what their relationship might be. Because the story we had gotten was that McAllen had dated Leanne's mom. Oh, okay. Um, That's how she knew him, allegedly. Interesting. Okay. Um, I knew they had some sort of history. I didn't realize that was their history. I mean, he doesn't seem Mm -hmm. that much older than her. Maybe like 15 years older than her. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the plan is and what's going on with Leanne and McAllen. And we've gotten reference to their longer backstory before. I've always wanted to know what what we have besides just that um, he dated her mom. Yeah. He said in Chapter 61, last episode, he said, "Uh, I liked your mother. I liked her a lot. Well, I mean, that could mean a lot of things. That could just mean that, you know, he just liked her. I'm sure she's a lovely lady. Sure. But that... Were we supposed to, like, was he just, like, planting one on Leanne? So I just, I don't know what this relationship is. And then she gets the email at the end of the episode that said, hey, if you get this, that means I'm dead. And there were three questions. Uh, What was it? Uh, Where did mom leave the key? That was what I, that was the part that I wrote down and had a question about that because who refers to somebody's mom is mom unless it's also their mom right so i'm really confused i'm like is this her father is it her brother yeah i wrote down brother um maybe stepbrother unless we've got you know some kind of like again the game of thrones again, thing yeah we had a mouth kiss in this episode uh favorite baseball player first name and last i don't know uh if leanne knew that information and what did you leave in the hotel room in austin I hope that we find out. <laughs> that is a lingering question that they better answer on House of Cards. What was in the hotel room? I don't know. And yeah. so McAllen, we do know, is dead. Uh, Leanne, again, getting frozen out by Claire Underwood as she wants to talk to her in the episode after there is the little interaction with Leanne and Jane Davis. Yeah. And I do think those questions are all questions that Leanne is going to know the answer to, including the favorite baseball player, uh, because whatever he sent her, that's got some kind of uh, confidential information on it that he wants to get leaked out. So he's getting it to Leanne for a reason. So you think that she has already viewed what was like, I was assuming that that's how she got that message. If you get this, I'm dead. But you, you are you saying that she still has yet to open this? This is like basically the key to all this information. Right. I mean, all the, all the fields below those questions were empty. So um, I think, you know, she opens the email, she listens to the audio file and then something pops up, um, whether it's a link or Got an it. attachment on the email. And then to access that, you have to answer these three questions that have, I would assume only Leanne knows the answer to. 
All right. So then Leanne will have the access perhaps to all of the NSA information and that could make her a very valuable player. Yeah. And, you know, no better time for all of this information about uh, the dirty deeds of the Underwoods to come out than right after Garrett Walker says that Frank Underwood was behind the scandal that got him impeached. That's right. So I thought that we were going towards a point where Claire Underwood somehow succeeds Frank Underwood. I, I've talked about that, that that felt like a good end to the series for me. But I kind of feel like that if Frank Underwood ends up being disgraced on his way out the door, that doesn't really help Claire Underwood. No, unless um, she completely like dissociates with him, says, I'm not even married to Frank Underwood anymore. I'm married to Tom Yates. You know, I don't know. Maybe that would earn her some points with the American public, but probably not. Like you think if she dumps Frank Underwood that that'll really uh, like be like, uh, you go, Claire. Yes, Queen. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So is that is that a thing? I mean, you're like, uh, hold on a second. Uh, you're married to the guy that we're impeaching, but now you're breaking up. So I guess you're cool. What if Claire is the one who drops like the smoking gun on Frank? She turns him in. Yeah. Well, her testimony is what really seals Frank's deal. Um, you know, with that endear to the public. Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what the scenario is. I mean, the closest comparison we have is sort of like a scenario of like uh, Bill Clinton as president and Hillary Clinton as vice president. And then, you know, like hypothetically, uh, you know, the the, the Bill Clinton's uh, wrongdoings uh, that he went so uh, had so much difficulty with were a different than the Frank Underwood ones, where I actually think in that case, the vice president, Hillary, leaving him, I think actually would have uh, earned her a lot of uh, support and sympathy. Mm-hmm. But this is more of a like uh, really... Uh, political, uh, like it's this is not like necessarily like a, a transgression of the marriage. So I, I I don't know if she would be out of the woods. Yeah, I just feel like she could come out as the hero in this if she's the one who who gets Frank Underwood busted. Like if she testifies against him, right. could that and- sort of yeah you know that sort of betrayal. Would that potentially uh, win her the favor of Congress and and the people? Mm, You know, that would be something. Yeah. And how's this for a twist? We get this maybe, you know, maybe that's this is how the the season ends, that Claire is the one who comes out um, and and tells all about Frank's transgressions. And then at the end of the season, we get a reveal that this was actually a plan that Claire and Frank came up with together and. You know, this is their move that they're going to do this. They're going to get Claire into power and then she's going to um, get Frank free or something. You know, this was all a plan. Of the a yeah, this was all a plan the whole time, um, even though, you know, it looks like Claire was working against Frank. That's something. That's something. That's, a little- that's, that's kind of the way that we started the season where the audience was kept out of the loop against Jim Miller. Um, the Jim Miller killer is still being alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, they've they've withheld information from us before, and it would be an interesting bookend on this on this season for that to be the end of the season. So this episode really did a interesting job with uh, juxtaposing uh, everything happening with Mark Usher and Jane Davis. Again, 
it did seem like there was a theme about like a relationship that is more complicated than we first realize. And the Mark Usher, Jane Davis, they both were asked about the other boy. You know, it was a, a real like, gr- tell me more, tell me more type scene <laughs> where tell me more about Mark Usher. Tell me more about Jane Davis. Do, are, are the, is there a romantic entanglement there? There's definitely a history, and they had that meeting outside where they both talked about that they got talked to by the Underwoods, and they kind of came back together and told them all about this, uh, told each other all about this interaction. So I don't know if there's romantic entanglement, but this could be like a secret power couple that's been working together for a while. Yeah. And to what end? You know, just to get themselves ahead. I don't think that they, I think they're both kind of free agents where they will work with whatever team is going to get them the furthest. And so right now it might be Underwoods, it might be Romero, it might be Kathy, um, whoever whoever is in the driver's seat to get some power. That's the person they want to be with, and and they want to be driving uh, all the strategy that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and Mark Usher was really at the middle of a lot of this because he's the one playing both sides with Romero and uh, with the Underwoods. I liked it when he was telling Romero to uh, shut the f up. Yeah, that was great. He really put Romero in his place, kind of like what we saw when he put Conway in his place earlier uh, in the season. I think that's that's a really great side of Mark Usher, where we see that he's not intimidated by these political figures. Uh, he knows, you know, he's the one who's actually got his hands in the mud and doing things, getting things done. Uh, these people are just kind of the puppets and the figureheads. Do you buy this at all? Could you imagine like a real life scenario where somebody in the same party would be so aggressive uh, with this sort of committee? Uh, For instance, you know, uh, any sort of committee uh, against President Trump from the Republicans or against uh, President Obama from the Democrats. Could you ever imagine? I mean, this seems so bizarre that this would even happen. It really does, because we've got. Um, you know, we've got Romero, who's in Frank's party, and now we've got Garrett Walker, who said that he was doing this for the good of the party, um, also coming out against Frank. And maybe, you know, maybe the party is starting to realize the good of the party is to distance himself from Frank. Um, I mean, especially the after election that, was like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, it's still cold there. So it hasn't been that much time that's passed. I mean, the Ohio election was like a week ago, right? Yeah. And then the inauguration and everything like just happened. But you know, that it doesn't stop. And uh, these committees are ga- still gathering info. So I, this is probably a smart move on the part of this party, of the Democratic Party, because uh, Frank Underwood is clearly in the wrong quite a bit. <laughs> and he's getting caught lots of times. It doesn't make any sense politically in terms of, again, and I'm just a guy who, you know, watches Morning Joe here and there. But in the 2018 midterms, like who is running the Democratic Party in House of Cards world that is like that is cool with this? Where okay, here's what we need to do: uh, Romero wing. Okay, this is a very progressive uh, guy in the Congress. He's gonna hold hearings against the Underwoods and try to impeach Frank Underwood to get him to step down. And he's going to be okay with Claire Underwood stepping down? I mean, is his ultimate play that he's going to get them both out and the Secretary of State is going to take over? And, how, and how's that going to play in 2018? I mean, is, it seems like Romero is only acting from a personal interest. I, this doesn't make any political sense. To me. And again, lots of things don't make any political sense to me. But this, to me, I, I just like uh, does not 
pass any sort of scrutiny. No, and you know, I did notice when we had the scene with Romero and Mark Usher, uh, when Usher puts him in his place, Romero was trying to make a big move. He says, you know, I'll tell him not to testify and I'll take myself off the committee if Frank Underwood resigns. It's like that was a terrible negotiating tactic. Like you're just asking for way too much in order to give Frank what he wants. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, he's never going to be like, oh, OK, yeah, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be president anymore. So that, that way you'll stop being on the committee and you'll you'll get Garrett Walker to stop testifying. Um, much like how we saw Frank Underwood try to make too big of a move when he went to talk to Walker. So we are seeing parallels between Romero and Frank Underwood, which I think is what they want us to see. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the Jane Davis side of things. So she knows about this gas attack, but the gas attack has not happened yet, right? It's in the planning stages. Right. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then once it happens, Frank Underwood is going to move troops into Syria. Right. This will give Frank what he needs to have his declaration of war, have troops on the ground and in the air. I mean, this really is uncanny because, uh, you know, this is uh, shot and presumably filmed before uh, there was that chemical gas attack uh, in Syria. That must have been like, what, two, three months ago. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, but, you know, there there have been uh, previous uh, chemical attacks uh, in Syria, unfortunately, over the past couple of years. But uh, really uncanny that this is uh, something that overlaps our real world and the House of Cards world. But Frank... Underwood uh, does seem to be intrigued with Jane's proposal to move in a occupying force into Syria. Yeah, because it also will give him the cover that they need to try to get Almaty too. So it serves multiple purposes uh, for a lot of people. If this happens, of course, this requires the chemical attack to happen and lots of people in Syria to die. Right. Now, could they potentially stop this chemical attack if they knew about it, like, is that a decision that they're debating right now? I don't think so. And I don't really understand why they wouldn't do that. It seems like that is the best way to kind of do both, to step in there with troops and say, we heard about the chemical attack. we got to make sure this isn't going to happen and also stop the attacks so that these people don't lose their lives, which I think is what Claire wants. Well, what is Kathy trying to accomplish? I mean, Kathy, I think, just doesn't trust this intel. And, you know, she when she meets with them, she originally doesn't want to do it. And they they kind of offer it was weird. I thought they were going to tell her she was going to be fired if she didn't do it. But they told her that if she announces it to the U.N., then they will allow her to resign. Mm hmm. Yeah. So and and then it gets complicated even further when Kathy is meeting with Jane Davis in the back of the car. She's like trying to talking. narc out the information that Jane Davis gave the Underwoods to Jane Davis. Right. Again, we've got this circular uh, we've got this circular logic thing going on. And and then Jane Davis takes it back to Claire. It's just the whole thing is uh, it kind of makes my head spin. Yeah. So ultimately, Jane Davis, uh, as as we've confirmed for a long time, uh, I do like her as a character. She's so bizarre. Yeah. We haven't seen as many of her quirks as we saw early on. Uh, when they first introduced her, although she did mention that something terrible happens every time she goes to a party and she was at a party in this episode. Oh, that's interesting. What was the terrible thing that happened? She met Mark Usher. Um, you know, maybe something terrible that happened was the Garrett Walker thing. Maybe she put that into the, into the atmosphere. I don't know. And maybe we haven't seen what the terrible thing is. Okay. Uh, do you want to dabble into the world of Doug? Oh, dabbling Doug. 
Yes. Uh, Doug ends up seeking out Lisa in this episode. Um, I was kind of hoping that we could just like uh, move on from Lisa. Doug uh, chickened out. Yeah, he had the syringe, Doug's famous syringe. With yes, him. not filled with bourbon, I presume. No, probably not. And uh, Doug the dog is being barked at by the dog. By a real dog, right. As he's right behind her. Yeah. And then uh, Lisa goes right to Tom Hammerschmidt. And Hammerschmidt, uh, I mean, there's not enough time in the episode for him to follow up all the leads that he has. Uh, He finds out that Doug is moving in on Lisa and then he's got everything going on with the phone. He's going to go talk to Doug. So feels like that he's closing in on something. What that ultimately might be. I mean, there's ri- there's literally like five different things that could just end the Underwood administration like right now. Yeah, it, it's it really is crazy how many different threats there are out there from, you know, all things stemming from different seasons of the show. We've got you know, Pete Rousseau, Zoe Barnes from season one. We've got Garrett Walker from season two. Um, we, you know, we might even be able to trace, you know, there's a season three plot that's probably coming back season four plot. So, um, you know, lots of lots of threats to Frank. Everybody's coming after Frank right now. Bogies all around for Frank Underwood uh, right now, and especially for Doug, because uh, Hammerschmidt is really closing in. Yeah, uh, Frank's going to have to pedal a little bit harder on that spin bike if he wants to get away from all of this. Yeah, and then not for anything, uh, Sean Jeffries uh, really getting uh, to the top of the Anthony Moretti story. Uh, We see Sean meeting up with Meredith Lee, and he seems like he has gotten to the bottom of the Anthony Moretti scandal where uh, we got an organ from Anthony Moretti that went to Frank Underwood, and he tries to leverage that information back to Claire for a role in the White House. And I thought that was interesting that they balked at him uh, working there because if I recall, wasn't that exactly how Seth got a job at the White House? Uh, yeah, he well, he brought them information. Um, he was I think he was working for one of their opponents and he brought them information on the opponent. Yes. I yes. Well, you know what it was? Yeah, he, he found the abortion uh, diary and he brought that in. I mean, That's compared right. to uh, like, oh, how innocent we were back in season two. Like, oh, if anybody finds out about Claire Underwood's abortion, oh, this could end everything. I mean, now. Yeah. That- yeah how quaint. That's the real Obama puts Dijon mustard on his sandwich uh, of, of the House of Cards universe. The good old the days. Yeah. yeah. So they, they should leak that now just to get people talking about something else. Yeah. That's Seth, true. You still have that diary? You know, this kidney transplant scandal, that could be our season four loose end that is coming back to haunt Frank. So we only have to find our season three loose end and then we'll have one from every season that will be his his undoing. You feel like that this is some sort of all-star scandal season that they have to have something from every previous season? <laughs> yeah, except that one season. Maybe they'll, they'll just ignore one season of it and be like, <laughs> ah, yeah, there's there's nothing good to bring back from that one. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, get into Yates stuff. Uh, Frank has really <laughs> had it uh, with these uh, mother effing Yates uh, <laughs> on this uh, mother effing uh, White House. <laughs> mother effing Will Conway plane. Yes. Yes. So he's had it with him. Yeah, he wants him out. He, the, there's no reason for him to be there anymore. Uh, do you think that this is because Gates cheated on Claire? 
I think it's both things. I think that Frank is getting a little claustrophobic. I mean, it's weird uh, that Frank Underwood, <laughs> you know, they have a interesting relationship. I get it, especially. Well, no, no, I don't get it. I, I don't want to say I get it. But from a, you know, carnal perspective, okay, I guess we could wrap our heads around that. What's weird is that Yates is just like in their living quarters, <laughs> right? I mean, that Frank Underwood is like, well, it doesn't have a free moment with Claire because uh, that her boyfriend is around all the time. <laughs> yeah, he's just hanging out, you know, putting his feet up on the table. He's got terrible manners. He's, he's there. Frank can't get any space and also, when he around. Frank knows that he's cheating on Claire. So it's, you know, it's one thing. It's like, all right, Claire, you do you, boo-boo, and then I'll see you in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but he's just got this guy around all the time. This guy around who also, you know, seems to be snooping quite a bit, asking mm-hmm. questions, overhearing conversations that he should not be overhearing. Um, you know, that that's they've brought too many people into their inner circle that they should not be trusting. And, you know, I think that the decision to go with Usher and Jane Davis over Leanne and and Doug is going to end up being something that bites him in the ass. And I think letting, you know, this new boy toy come in instead of trusting their relationship with each other, uh, you know, we might see some parallels there by going with with the new hotness, as you said earlier, instead of uh, sticking around with the old and busted. Yeah, let's. Talk about uh, the relationship with Claire and Yates, because I thought that there was uh, some interesting things like after, you know, Frank was saying to Claire, uh, I think we should get rid of Yates at this point. And Claire did not like that idea. We saw them in bed and uh, she's asking him, tell me the worst thing you've ever done. And the worst thing that Yates has ever done is he pretended to love someone when he didn't. Oh, that's cute. That's the worst thing you've ever done. You pretended to love somebody. Well, uh, no, she's like, uh, well, uh, yeah, Francis killed Zoe Barnes. He killed Peter. Uh, Claire really washing her hands of everything. Yeah. You know, first of all, with this scene, Yates is a total mumbler. I had to rewind this about <laughs> four times to actually catch Put what the closed captions on. I, I do that sometimes. But, you know, I was like. Come on, you should just be able to enunciate, dude. And I could not understand what he said. And we've got mumbles here to go with the Dick Tracy jacket that we mm-hmm. see Mark Usher wearing. So yeah. I like I like that they're bringing back all these Dick Tracy characters. I'm <laughs> down with that. Where's Pruneface? You know what's his name? Um, Birch could be a Pruneface. Yeah, who do you like better, Pruneface or Littleface? Oh, Little Face was some good effects. I I did like Little Face. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's uh, Mumbles is still the best though. Dustin Hoffman is Mumbles. It's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Little Face is uh, is creepy. That's like nightmare fuel. Oh yeah, no that that is the weirdest looking looking one. And then there's um you know there's Al Pacino in there. What was what was his name? Big. Uh, He's like the big leader of Dick Tracy, too. He's, uh, he's a great mob boss. Right, right. Um, you know, Mr. Big, maybe? <laughs> Something like that. And, and, we, and Flat Top and the whole gang. All right, but we don't yeah. need to get uh, too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, so, but Claire uh, is, is talking about like all these things, and uh, she says, so many more people are going to die. And uh, Yates says, you don't scare me. And she says, I should. So... Feels like Claire, in a way, is trying to push Yates away, but he doesn't want to go. Yeah, I wonder if that was supposed to be a warning from Claire to Yates, like you're gonna die if you don't if you don't just get out now. Well, you still can. Yeah. 
Well, that's interesting. Tying back to the uh, tap water comment. Yeah, Frank is going to poison your tap water. Yeah. Well, the tap water is going to kill you. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, basically, uh, there's worse ways to go. Is that what he said? Yeah. Something like yeah. that? So. Well, and, you know, maybe, maybe like the symbolism of the tap water is going to kill you is like drinking water from the White House, a.k.a. staying in the White House is going to kill you and you should leave. Wow. Symbolic foreshadowing. Like some sort of Ponce de Leon fountain of youth in the White House? Well, the opposite, because if you drink it, you're going to die. You're not going to oh, stay young. Oh, wow. Sort of like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? You choose the wrong yeah. cup? Oh, yeah, exactly. Inconceivable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I'm just mixing everything all Now over. everything is mixed up. Now we're yeah. Princess Bride. Okay. Let's uh, check, start to check in with some of our uh, listener questions. And so uh, let's go to Spencer Y, because he usually does a good job. But he sends us about like 10 questions about every episode. So I usually look at his email first to see if there's anything that I missed. So he writes about Claire getting power hungry for the presidency. He says, uh, with the dangerous alliance that Claire is making with Jane Davis, are we interpreting the help me help you conversation to mean that Claire is now willing to give bad advice and undermine Frank while she keeps her hands clean of Frank's dirty deeds so she could take over as president if Frank got impeached or stepped down in some other manner. What do you think of that? I, I mean, I could see her kind of eating that forbidden fruit and, um, you know, and really, really taking a taking a chance here, turning against Frank. I just I think they're so much better when they work together and they could be on the same page. Um but we're not seeing that. We are seeing them both kind of do their dealings separately. We're seeing Frank smoke by himself instead of smoking with Claire. So, you know, maybe maybe Claire is ready to push Frank out. It just seems very quick into this administration. I mean, like you said, the uh, the election was just weeks ago. Okay. Spencer also brings up Sean Jeffries in the missing photo strip. I'm glad that Sean Jeffries' motivation of wanting a job inside DC politics was verified in the episode through his conversation with Claire. With him being the persistent guy that he is, does it only make sense that he is probably involved with the missing Lisa Williams photo strip off Hammerschmidt's murder board with inside help from his Washington Herald girlfriend who's working with Tom? If Sean does have the photo strip, what does he plan to do with it and how can it help him progress towards his aspirations? Yeah, I did wonder if we'd seen somebody grab that photo strip. I think it was the girlfriend who grabbed it. She was just looking at it. I believe we did see that a few episodes ago. Um, so, you know, he could use that to blackmail Doug, uh, maybe use that to blackmail Seth. I think he is going to keep trying to negotiate his way into the White House, it seems like. Uh, although this is, you know, Sean Jeffries is another character that we saw in this episode who tried to negotiate and asked for something too big too early, like we saw with Romero and, you know, sort of like what we saw with Frank talking to uh, talking to Garrett Walker. Okay. This is Johnny DeSilvera who wants to ask you, are you two any more convinced like I am that Leanne is going to end up dead before the end of the season? I don't think she's going to end up dead. I think they might come after her, um, especially now that they've taken McAllen out. But I it was curious that Jane Davis offered Leanne a job in the FBI or in the Hoover building, which is where I think it's where the FBI is based as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Leanne. If anything, I really feel like that this is the one area where Claire is making a mistake. I'm not sure. They they know how connected Leanne is in this world, why they're pushing her out like they are and sort of like they're forcing her to act, uh, uh, you know, against the administration if necessary. Yeah, Um 
you know, I don't trust Jane Davis and I actually um, have written down in my notes, too, that um, they were talking about Almaty and Frank says, you can thank Petrov for that. And Jane Davis responds, oh, yes, I do. And so, you know, I wonder if that was like a little hint that she's actually working with Petrov more than we're more than she's letting on. The case of the man on the Russian uh, research vehicle, that is still very interesting to me. I don't it seems like like an X-Files sort of tangent that the show is going down of who is this guy? Why was he on the Russian research vessel? Jane Davis seems like that she's trying to erase all records of him. This story has to ultimately end up connecting to something else going on here, right? Yeah, I think so, especially since, you know, they just mentioned him in that one episode and then they brought him back again. Uh, Usually if something is mentioned in multiple episodes, there's a reason for it and they're trying to remind us and keep it on our mind. With this many characters, if a character is brought up, uh, they're probably going to play a role in the next couple episodes. Yeah. Okay. Zach, what's the hashtag today? I mean, we do have the whole uh, corpuscular conversation between Yates and Claire. What is that about? I don't know. Are you feeling corpuscular today? I, I don't even know what it means. <laughs> no, I have no idea what it means. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's using that as their hashtag. Mm, I don't know. I'm afraid to click on it because I don't want to get uh, any House of Cards spoilers. Oh, that's that's true. Or maybe just like questions that only yeah. you know the answer to. Who do you think Ian McAllen's favorite baseball player is? Jose Reyes, of course. Is it Jose Reyes? <laughs> well, I'm trying to think. So what does Ian McAllen like? He likes Texas. He does like Texas. Okay. Uh, um, what else does he like? He likes the internet. So uh, we're figuring there's got to be like a Rangers player or somebody on the Astros, right? Yeah. probably. He's probably a fan of the Houston Astros, baby. I think it's uh, Nolan Ryan. Oh, going going farther back. I was maybe Jeff, Jeff Bagwell. Jeff Bagwell, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. So I wonder if there's some clue to McAllen what he ultimately that uh, we don't know a lot about him. No, we we don't know anything about him really. Yeah. He's always for a guy who was on this the show for like almost you know season and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really learn too much about Aiden McCallum. I don't think we learned his first name until this season. You know, and we also had we also had discussion between Seth and Sean. We had more weirdness with Seth in the car where he freaked out about Sean eating in his car. Yeah, why is Seth never at the White House? I don't know. Seth is just, I don't know what he's doing. I think he is just like probably setting his fantasy football lineup all the time and just like making trades and really isn't doing much work. Did you think it was also interesting that Walker was like uh, fiddling around with a coin when uh, Frank went to go see him? Oh, he's like Two-Face. Well, yeah, like going back to that flipping a coin, uh, Red Herring or Blue Herring. Oh, yeah. Do you think that maybe he said, you know, whatever, whatever it lands on, if it's heads, I will go with Frank. If it's tails, I will go with Romero. Okay. Uh, that's uh, interesting. So you want to go with Two-Face Walker? Yeah, I like Two-Face Walker. Two-Face Walker. Okay. Uh, we only have three hours left of the House of Cards. Yeah, and we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of questions that are hanging as loose threads, including one that I remembered as we were talking about this. What the hell is up with Will Conway's scandal? Are we ever going to learn more about this? The, no, the, I don't think so. The rescue? No, I think that, that that's just sort of like forget about that. It's not important. They're just going sh- to shred that storyline. Uh, just forget about that. Uh, we're not going to. We'll maybe we'll pick that up in season six uh, if we get a renewal. 
Yeah, uh, I, I want I want Joel Kinnaman to be there and saying, you know, flip me the effing camera so I can tell this story, please. Yeah. So um, sorry about that. Uh, we will not get any more about that. Uh, but what we will get is chapter 63 coming up. Uh, one of the last three chapters, the second in this episode here of the podcast. And so uh, before we get there, let me just take a moment and thank one of our sponsors. Those are our friends over at True Car. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times this is not the case. People can figure your cars online only to find out later that they're unavailable. But with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing offered by an actual dealer and not just any dealer, a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. With TrueCar, you'll easily find the car that you want and TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now, you know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. You know, Zach, it used to be that if you wanted to know what a fair price was for a vehicle, you had to, uh, you know, uh, track down McAllen and get him to like uh, try to like go all like uh, all over the dark net. No, that's not what you do anymore. Now you go to True Car. And McAllen said that he likes nice cars too. He, he does. said that he he likes to drive nice cars. So McAllen is who somebody who knows his cars. Yeah, yeah I mean. Everybody likes nice cars, I think. Well, everybody uh, should check out TrueCar because over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by that TrueCar certified dealer network. There's over 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. You'll work directly with a TrueCar certified dealer contact and you'll be more likely to enjoy a faster buying process. Best of all, TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. All right, when we come back we are getting ready for chapter 63 zach anything else no i'm ready to get into the next one and see how we wrap up this season all right let's do it we'll see you on the other side All right, Zach. Now, before we get to chapter 63, let's just take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the House of Cards Post Show Recap. And those are our friends over at True Car. Because when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Just like Doug was keeping track of the actual inventory with uh, Meredith Lee over in her department, that's what you'll be doing with True Car. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's not the case, though, when you look online. People can figure cars online only to later find out that that car is not available. With TrueCar, you're getting real pricing on actual inventory, not pricing offered by TrueCar, pricing offered by the actual dealer, and not just any run-of-the-mill dealer, a true car certified dealer, which is part of a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. With true car, you'll easily find the car that you want. And next, true car will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network with over 13,000 dealers nationwide. That's why True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car Certified Dealers and True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. And with that, Zach, let's throw it to Chapter 63. We're back. 
Hey, wow. Yes, awesome. chapter 63. Here we are. Boy, uh, let's throw it to Claire Underwood, who can talk to us now. Yeah, yeah. That's That was a big, uh, you know, middle of the episode revelation. Major reveal. Major reveal. And these last few episodes, like we keep saying it, that uh, there is a, a lot of meat here, a lot of content. I really feel like there was a couple episodes this season where we were just sort of like wasted time. And now everything is happening. Yeah. How many pages of notes do you have on this episode? This is only a six pager for me. Oh, okay. A six pager. All right. Well, I, I type mine. So mine is uh, a little over three pages typed. So oh, yeah. um, I don't know what that equals out in your type. Oh, yeah. No, but. the minor typed also. I'd oh, sit there and I type. Like 18 point font? <laughs> no, 12 point font. You know, I have uh, 34 different scenes in the episode that I have notes from. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on here and uh, a lot to talk about with some discord between Frank and Claire. Are they on the same page? Are they not? Frank looks like he's on the way out of the White House. We had uh, Leanne and Doug hook up. Where's the leak? It's not Kathy Durant. Uh, oh my Kathy God. Durant. <laughs> it is Kathy Durant. I thought that based on the last scene that it wasn't Kathy Durant. Huh. We'll have to get into that. I, I think, I mean, she's a leak. Uh, I thought she was also the leak, but maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's multiple leaks. Maybe this thing is like a bucket with holes in it right now. Yeah, I thought this was the whole cliffhanger at the end of the episode where that once they announced that Kathy Durant was going to testify, they said, well, why is she going to leak everything she knows she's going to give to Romero? And they got another one of these birthday cards at the same time. And they were like, uh, well, it's not Kathy Durant. Yeah, no, actually, you're right. The birthday card leak is not Kathy Durant. But yeah, um, I think Kathy Durant and, and we'll get, we can get into this, but I think Kathy Durant and the leaker are all working on the same team. Okay. All right. So they might not even be working together. Everybody's just like anti Underwood at this point. So a lot to get into. Claire Underwood. Uh, we I have to start there because it was such a major moment in the history of the show. In the past, we had Claire Underwood look at the camera at the end of season four. We had several moments this season where. Claire Underwood, we thought she was talking to us, and it turned out they were all just fake outs. This was not a red herring. This was not a blue herring. Claire Underwood talked directly to us in the middle of the scene. There had to have been a number of people watching the show, maybe some of them under the influence of various substances that might have been tripping out at that point. Yeah, um, I am really glad that I was not spoiled on this. This, I feel like, could have been something easily that I could have seen a tweet about or could have seen somebody talking about. So I'm really glad that this was a, you know, even though we got tipped off a little bit last year, it's good to have this confirmed. Uh, and, you know, lots of good stuff there. That scene, there was a lot to break down in what she says to us. Claire Underwood is dressed in all white when she addresses the camera. And we've talked about the significance of white throughout the series as we've recapped it. And, you know, I think the best part about this is it almost makes me want to go back and rewatch the whole series now knowing that Claire Underwood says that she knows that Frank talks to us and she can hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many things has Frank said to us that he thought Claire didn't hear that Claire actually knows? So that's very interesting. So when Frank Underwood is talking to the camera, talking to us at home, Claire Underwood, he doesn't know that Claire can't hear that? I don't think so. I think that he talks to us and, you know, again, I would have to go back and, you know, maybe there's a good YouTube video that shows just all the fourth wall breaking in this show. Um, but it seems to me that Claire says, you know, I'm aware of who you are and I don't trust you. Uh, 
um, you know, and I've always known that you were here. So, you know, she knows about us and I don't think that Frank knows about that. She has this, you know, if you want to call it ability or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But but I don't think Frank knows that she can talk to us. I was trying to type so fast when that was happening. So she looks at us and says she's looking for Francis and he's not in there. And she looks at us and says, just to be clear, like, I've always known that you were there. I just question your intentions. Yeah. What intentions do we have? We're just watching. What are we supposed to do? Right. To me... I feel like that this is definitely coming out of the Mr. Robot effect, where uh, Mr. Robot does. T- I don't think that this is, uh, you know, a spo- if it's a spoiler, it's a pretty innocuous one that Elliot talks to the camera and talks like in the breaks the fourth wall and talks to you at home like you're an actual character in the show. I think that's established pretty early on. And uh, the fact that Claire is doing this, Frank, you know, talked to us and, and, you know, he said like, uh, I think it was in the season two premiere. He's like, Oh, did you think I forgot about you? So, uh, he certainly has done that, but Claire is talking to us as if we are not just like impartial, observers to this like we have some sort of she questions our intentions like maybe the audience being aware of frank and frank being aware of the audience is making frank act and perform a certain way that's not to his benefit like we're judging them in some way i'm not exactly sure what she feels but she then goes on to say that she does not care about attention she's ambivalent to our attention yeah she's ambivalent uh to everybody's intention i believe that she also says intention or attention Uh, attention yeah so yeah claire doesn't want attention whereas frank does i think you know frank does want attention and we've also, you know, we've talked about them being political actors. We, you know, everybody, every character in this show is is an actor playing some role. So, you know, I think as we've talked this out a little bit, that Claire thinks the audience is what influences some of Frank's decision making, and that's why, you know, they disagree on what decisions he should make a lot, and maybe she thinks that the audience is impacting that decision in a negative way. Yeah, it's so interesting to know that Claire has this ability now at this very interesting point in their relationship where we are getting to a point where maybe Claire is going to end up as the president of the United States. Frank, while he is sort of clawing tooth and nail to stay at his job, does seem resigned to the fact that, I shouldn't use the word resign, but he does seem to be coming to terms that we need to keep Claire protected. We need to keep her out of this. Yeah, and um, Claire doesn't really lean one way or the other. It seems like she says that either way they lose. Um, But we do know that Claire is... Uh, making deals with Jane Davis. We've talked about the Jane Davis impact since she's come on to this show. Uh, and, and that was what I was alluding to earlier. I think, you know, that Jane Davis kind of has her, you know, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it like an alliance of people that are working to get Claire as the president and unseat Frank. And that's, and I think Jane Davis might be behind these leaks. Um, and, and who knows who else is in on this besides Jane, Claire. I think Durant is in on this as well. 
I mean, the laundry list could go on and on and on about how many people are in on the leaks. I think that that's going to be a big part of finding out in these next two episodes. But it also comes to, at a time between Frank and Claire when there is the most distrust between them since the early days of season four, pre the Claire Underwood vice presidential campaign. Yeah, this uh, this whole Frank and Claire president and vice president thing fell apart pretty quickly where, you know, Frank is now in the position that Garrett Walker was in, at least in his eyes. And he feels like, you know, Claire is coming after him. Claire doesn't have his best intentions at heart. And uh, Claire wants to, you know, wants to come for that power, wants to come for that throne. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily that he is questioning. Well, I I guess to a degree, it's more that she is acting weird. I guess it's the same thing. Like in a vacuum, I feel like that uh, they're on the same page. But that missing time is really bothering him. That time when she's going to go meet with Jane Davis. Frank is on to that and he doesn't know why she's lying to him. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, and it's not a coincidence that as the pressure from all of these people who are on to Frank's misdoings is increasing, that the pressure on and the strain on their relationship is increasing as well. Um, and, and now they have this ability to watch the live feeds, which that's adding a whole new element to their life in the White House, because, you know, Frank looks like he's kind of addicted to just watching people. Uh, right. as, is, as is Doug, as, as are a couple characters in this show. They're, they can just watch whoever they want, hear whatever they want. And, you know, this is this is going to cause some issues. Well, the leaking ultimately leads Frank to turn to some secret NSA spying. And Agent Green sets up where they have the ability to monitor all ingoing and outgoing communication, spy on people through webcams and phones. But for Frank Underwood and Doug, even suddenly they have a lot of power and they really might need the LFC to come in and be watching these live feeds so that they can get some rest. Yeah, it's a it's another kind of correspondent that we can add to the White House. Now, tell me, Brent, in your professional opinion, what is going on uh, with uh, Seth is like, like, okay, girl, bye. Let me tell you. I am living right now for what's going on with Leanne and Doug. That's a power couple. Um, yeah, so they need a whole LFC. Yeah, they, they I mean, they really got to break down everything that's going on in that press room. That's that's where all the magic happens. Yeah. Taryn, what do you think of what's going on with Kathy? Well, it's hard to say. Don't be a fancy Fencerton. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the whole Big Brother podcast writes itself. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's there's hours of content just on these White House live feeds. Right. And then we've really come full circle with Big Brother, where we've gone to like sort of like the wacky reality show that takes its name from the George Orwell book, 1984. And then again, now we have gone completely to the to this Orwellian place where people are being watched by Big Brother in Soviet Russia. Big Brother is watching you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe we have, you know, who knows? We might have uh, Petrov watching them as well. Right. Wouldn't, right. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but what did kind of bother me about this is obviously Frank, Claire and Doug um, know about these live feeds and that they, that they are being watched and tracked all the time. But there are definitely areas in, and scenes in this episode where they maybe they just forget that they're being monitored, but they do things that if they knew they were being monitored, they shouldn't have been doing in the first place. For example, what, like Doug sleeping with Leanne? 
Yeah, like Doug being at Leanne's, um, Claire going off the grid for 45 minutes when she says she's going to go to the gym. You know, like they they know that this stuff is tracked now. So why would why aren't they thinking about that before they you know do some of this stuff? Well, I think that the Claire thing is defensible. It's not like she went to a room where she was going to be filmed by the cameras to meet with Jane Davis. She intentionally went somewhere that was off the grid so she could have a private conversation. I think what she did not assume was that Frank Underwood wouldn't buy her story and was suspicious of her and would be tracking her. I think that she just assumed, okay, Frank Underwood's going to be looking at. Kathy's laptop. He's going to be uh, following to see what Seth is doing in his office and everybody else on the cabinet. So I think that that's probably her miscalculation there. The Doug and Leanne stuff, uh, I'm, we will get into all that, but I, I don't know what anybody's thinking there. Yeah, I mean, that, that was an act of passion. But Claire has gone for 45 minutes. The, the conversation with Jane Davis that we saw was like five Maybe she had other conversations. I guess, but 45 minutes is a long time. I don't know. I just think, like, I would assume that you can, you know, it's like got the DVR functionality where you can kind of go to any point in time. Like, you can go on the message boards and find out what point in time you're supposed to be watching to get the really good action on these live feeds. And you can just go back to wherever, you know, any point that it's been recording. So, you know, Frank could go back and watch Claire at some point. There's flashbacks on the feeds? I would imagine that it's got to, I mean, if it doesn't have that functionality built in, then Agent Green should be fired. That seems like that's, you know, pretty rudimentary. You can go back and you do quad cam. I ho- uh, yeah, it looked like Doug had like Octocam. Octocam? Yeah, like on NFL Red Zone when they have the rare Octobox at the beginning of the day. Yeah. Okay. So everybody has their phones tapped and they're able to uh, watch how that's all going. I thought I think that's it's their a- wires that are tapped. Okay, the wiretapping happening. And so I didn't even know they could do that. Uh, Then Leanne, when she is trying to access the computer, I did think that that was a little bit uh, on the nose in terms of that, like, Leanne happened to have, like, the perfect camera angle. Like, she was all made up trying to access the, I mean, she's by herself, but she's in, like, full makeup trying to, like, hack the computer. I mean, Leanne's a good-looking woman. Nev Campbell, I've, I've talked about before, is a very good-looking person. She might not even be wearing makeup. That might just be her natural look. Uh, mm. And I think it was, you know, the webcam faces you. You're somebody who's on a webcam all the time. You know that it's like, you just, that's the webcam angle. Yeah. But she is like, all right, McAllen, what did you get me? Or what, uh, I, mean, I guess she called him Mac, but yeah, clearly on, Mac. I mean, who who says that to themselves? Yeah. Well, can't she just say, yeah, I I was talking to my Apple computer. Yeah, that would have been. See, she doesn't think on her feet like you do. Right. That's, that's, right. A, that's a good response. <laughs> Mac, that, that, those are the people that make the computer that I use. I mean, what do you want me to use? Uh, Siri? You want me to talk to them? Doug, we have to talk about with this uh, Leanne business. So we find out with the whole Laura Moretti thing, Doug ends up coming clean to Laura Moretti after he gets confronted by Claire Underwood, who knows everything, right? Yeah. And she thinks that that was poor judgment. So he ends up talking with uh, Laura Moretti and says, hey, just so you know. Uh, and she's like, what? You think I didn't know that? She's like, oh, she's very perceptive. She's known the whole time. She knew the whole time. She said, oh, you thought that I was effing you because I love you? No, I'm effing you because I hate you. What? That was a good line. I, you know, that there is that term like hate effing. So I guess that is the definition. of. Yeah. This. Walk me through that because I don't get that. OK, so 
that I can find, you can make a, a woman hate you so much that she will get into a, a sexual relationship with you? Because I, I, I have found that there are many women that hate me. At no <laughs> point do they say, uh, you know, routinely, uh, I feel like that, uh, I, you know, I, I bring my wife right to uh, that precipice. And at no point she's like, you know, I hate you so much right now. Let's go to the bedroom. I mean, you know, Laura Moretti is a special breed, I guess. That's a keeper. That's yeah. a keeper. That that is um, that is one strategy. But you, that you know, that's risky because if you have to do something as bad as Doug did mm-hmm. to get somebody to hate you, you know, it might be better just to be nice to them and uh, and be romantic and sweet. Yeah, it's a little bit like the horseshoe theory where it's sort of like you go so far around that you're sort of like back to where you started. So I I didn't really get that. And then Doug is very upset. He kicks her out of his car and then he goes to see Leanne because he wants to know what was going on. And then uh, there was a hookup. And I was interested to hear your thoughts on this. But you mentioned that was just pure passion. I actually had a different read on it. Uh, you feel like that these two like sparks were just flying because I was feeling that Leanne was seducing Doug to get him to drop this. I mean, that could be. Uh, I did call it a couple episodes ago. I you said did. That I thought that there was a little bit of sexual tension there. You were shipping them. Yeah. But, you know, I think it might also be that she was and actually I was going to bring this up with Laura Moretti, too, that, uh, you know, Doug's or Frank said that sex is about power. And so, you know, in both cases, you know, Laura Moretti is probably so upset that, you know, this is her way to feel power over the person who took her husband away. Um, And Leanne is trying to get the power back from Doug. She even offers Doug a drink knowing that he's an alcoholic. Um, So, you know, it it might be it might be more of, of column B where this is this is something to try to get some control in the situation that Leanne is in. I mean, she was very aggressive and not sort of like dancing around it at all. Like she went up to him and was like, oh, really, Doug? Okay. Uh, You know, she's like going right up to him. And then, you know, the next morning is like, hey, this never happened. And Doug, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, thanks for nothing, ends up saying like, uh, just so you know, I need to know what McAllen uh, gave you. Yeah, it didn't work. Didn't work. Leanne's like, what? Doug is a, a lucky guy and Doug is a sucker for the brunettes uh, based on the women that we've seen him be with so far in this show, which I think is three. Hmm. Yeah. So no blondes for Doug. No, we've seen Laura Moretti, Rachel and Leanne, unless there is a four. I'm trying to think if there was a fourth in there as well, but at least those three. But what we can take away is that Leanne has not cracked McAllen's code yet. Uh, do we know that for sure? She hasn't cracked. I guess she's still, she was in front of the computer trying to figure it out. So she hasn't figured out one or two of those three questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She could be, uh, stumped on the questions. Yeah. But she did let us know, um, earlier in the scene with Doug, she said, um, you know, what her deal with McAllen was, what, what their relationship was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she let him know that she was with McAllen when she was very young and she shouldn't have been. Oh boy. So it kind of is what we speculated about in the last episode that McAllen was with Leanne's mom, um, but also had some sort of relationship with, with Leanne at the same time. 
Oh, I mean, I took it as the uh, Leanne's mom was sort of the red herring that that actually didn't wasn't really a thing. So you think that he made the switch? He was dating the mom and then started hooking up with. I mean, that's pretty. That's uh, where my mind went. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he did mention something about her mom. Uh, you know, I always liked your mom. So uh, that seems like a weird thing to say to her after you made the switch. I mean, but he still refers to her mom as mom in that question. Hmm. So if he was just her boyfriend, he wouldn't refer to her mom as mom. Yeah. But this if they were married and it was like her stepdad. Very complicated. Yeah. I, I We might not get more on that, but, um, you know, maybe people listening can let us know what they think. Let's talk a little bit about the Kathy Durant of it all. And ultimately, we see that Kathy has this meeting with Romero. He wants to get her to testify. She says no, but then hands him a note which says yes. And we're led to believe the whole episode that she is going to be the leaker. Yeah. um, You know, we knew that there was something going on. We saw that she was meeting with her lawyer over lunch and then Jane Davis showed up. So... She's definitely talking with people. She's talking with, about this with her lawyer at lunch in basically in public. Like, I, I was surprised that they would have these conversations just in the middle of a restaurant. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so she Why didn't not? seem very worried. I mean, yeah, she didn't seem very worried about like talking about very confidential stuff, uh, even if she's prepared to testify uh, and then is secret about the fact that she will testify. She doesn't say it in front of her lawyer. Um, but in, she, instead, she gives the. She leaks the yes note over to Romero. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't get throughout the episode that it was like very heavy handed trying to say that that Kathy was the leak. Um, also, I don't buy that Kathy like knows how to hack these uh, flash drives. Like that just seems a little out of Kathy's league. Yeah, well, technical. certainly the delivery mechanism. I mean, I don't think there was really any hacking of a flash drive or anything. I mean, it's just sort of like putting a document onto a USB drive and like uh, like putting it in a birthday card. I mean, it's not like that complicated. <laughs> you don't have to be the aforementioned Mr. Robot to pull that off. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You got to hack, um, you know, you got to hack how the birthday card is set up and it's it's a, it's a technical process. What do you have to I hack don't... in the birthday card? You go to CVS, you buy the birthday card, and you tape a flash drive in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. I mean, that's I don't know. That might be well outside of Kathy Durant's, uh, you know, her her zone of what she can do. She's more on the you know figuring out international policy and strategy. Yeah. Well, we ended up with the scene where Frank ends up having the confrontation with Kathy about who do you think it was? And then ultimately uh, saying, oh, it must have been green. We overestimated his loyalty. We need to save ourselves. I need you to create a paper trail that will support uh, what we did. And he's like, I'm relying on you now, Kathy. I I don't know what he wanted her to do, which that sort of like drives her to be like, I'm ready to testify now. So I don't know if everything Frank Underwood is doing is wrong at this point. Are all of his instincts bad? Did he lose his magic touch? Uh, I don't know if he's completely lost it, but definitely in that situation, he thinks that he can tell Kathy what to do and and can get her to do exactly what he wants. Um, You know, although is there credence to, you know, is this the plan between Frank and Claire? We talked about that in the last episode. I don't think so based on just how much we see Frank doing things in, with nobody else around that are working to preserve his own presidency. 
they're clearly not on the same page. Um, I, like, I'll, I'll be surprised if there's like a reveal of like, this was the plan the whole time. Claire and I were in lockstep because he's telling us, again, unless he doesn't trust us and he's telling us the wrong thing about like, uh, she's gone for 45 minutes. Um, that Does she think I'm stupid? He's, he's talking about those things to us. He mentions it as well to Doug, but he's talking to us when he's watching the live feeds. Right. Yeah, and... You know, I think that that Claire's line about not trusting us, if they are working together, then they might feel the same way. I think that that would be a very weird way to end this season if it does turn out that this was their plan all along and they were working together and Frank just didn't trust us during this. So that's why he had to hide it from us. I don't know. It would be quite a departure from the way this show has been. But I I just feel like that's how the season's going to end. Let me uh, give you the dialogue that he says. So he's uh, switching across the live feeds and he sees uh, no Claire in the workout room. Uh, He says to us, where is my wife? Where has she gone? If she was your wife, wouldn't you wonder where she is? So it doesn't like it'll be a real turn for the show to say like uh remember when i had said to you i didn't know where she was i did know the whole time and even in the meetings that claire is having with jane davis all this stuff seems to be behind frank's back and there's also this uh wedge between frank and claire over mark usher where mark usher seems to be advising claire more so than he's advising the president yeah i mean it 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 doesn't quite add up and it would be a pretty tricky line to to go on if they can if they can actually get it to work. But I just you know, we have two episodes left. I just don't really know how else we wrap up this season because Frank's not going to Frank can't lose his power. Like if he gets impeached, what does uh, what this show if Frank gets impeached? I mean, could this show exist? Let me just throw this out here at you. No Spacey in season six. If let's uh, hypothetically, I don't know if he has to go to jail or leave the White House and or he's like in a reduced role in season six and House of Cards follows Claire Underwood in the White House in season six. It could. And I was thinking about, you know, what if we had Frank Underwood in prison and it's like him working his way back up, um, gaining power in other ways than what we've seen. Uh, I just that would just feels like such a different show. And, you know, we are getting Claire talking to the camera now. And I just don't know if it would be the same show. It just yeah. seems it could be so different. I think it would be so different. I do love Robin Wright as this character. And I think I would be interested in seeing how it would play out. I just don't know what you do with Frank Underwood at the point where he's out of power as just the first gentleman who's the disgraced president of the United States. I'm not sure exactly what that show looks like. And honestly, they keep talking about how Claire is going to be president and it's going to be fine. But it just doesn't make any sense with, with the amount of scandal surrounding Frank Underwood are people really going to accept his wife, even if she seems like she might not have been in on this? Are they really going to accept his wife as president? Mm, that's what they're working under. Yeah, I, just, that seems kind of far-fetched, but I guess there are lots of far-fetched things in this show. So. Yeah, Zach, one of the things from this episode was this idea of that Frank needs to censure himself. Uh, can you explain what that is? Yeah, so I um, I did not know what censure was before this episode. I'm sure lots of our listeners do and will tweet me about it. Um, so I Googled it, and uh, it's the 
definition that I that I found was censure is less severe than expulsion. A censure does not remove a senator or somebody from office. It is a formal statement of disapproval. However, that can have powerful psychological effects on the member in his or her relationship with other members in office. In 1834, the Senate censured President Andrew Jackson, the first and only time the Senate censured a president. Mm, Okay. And what does that mean exactly? So I think it's just that a statement of like dishonor or that you are condemned by, it seems like it's usually issued by the Senate, but it's not as bad as being impeached or being forced to resign or anything like that. So it's almost like a public flogging of a elected official. And then are they sort of like restrained in what they can do from that point on? Um, there might be that, but it didn't seem like there's any, you know, cause it just says it's a formal statement of disapproval and there's uh psychological effects, but it doesn't in, and the relationships are affected, but it doesn't seem like there's any formal, you know, you have less, you have less powers or less ability or anything like that. And I don't think Frank made any, made any references to not having as much power, but I do think he was saying that it's going to be hard for him to work with people in the future. And I think it pretty much limits him to a one-term presidency. So why was Frank so against it? Was it then people are four years from now? I mean, this time is really just like this, you know, that people hated Claire Underwood six months later, they love Claire Underwood. Four years seems like a long time. Yeah. But, you know, Frank has always been somebody who has gotten away with, Um, using his relationships and using people to his advantage. So if this is something that limits the amount of relationships and power that he has socially over people, that's a big blow to Frank's abilities. Okay, let's bounce around the House of Cards uh, universe a little bit. Uh, There was an interesting scene, I thought, between Romero and Usher, where uh, Romero was uh, sort of being uh, dressed down by Usher about, like, this is a bad idea, what are you doing? And Romero says, no, well, I'm going to be an independent now. And Mark Usher says that that's a bad idea. And Romero has a question. He wants to know, so why did Garrett Walker change his mind? And Mark Usher's answer, I thought, was very curious, and I want to know how meta you think this is. He told him that, well, sometimes things just happen and we don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think Usher knows exactly what happened. I don't. Does Usher know that Frank went and saw um, that Frank went and saw Garrett Walker? Well, I'm more interested in that piece of dialogue from the writers. Is this just like, hey, look, sometimes things happen. You don't know everything and we're not going to tell you. I don't think that was the writers trying to talk to us. I mean, this isn't like this is like lost or something where they're saying you're not going to get every answer. Yeah. So this wasn't like a let the mystery be type situation. No, I didn't get that. It didn't seem like it was. I mean, I didn't even write that line down in my notes because it didn't seem like it was that important of a line. They didn't put like any musical button on there or anything to really to really highlight that line. But, you know, maybe. If if they are going with that theme, then maybe there are things happening off camera that we're not seeing and that will be revealed in this major reveal in the last episode of the season that Frank and Claire have been working together this whole time. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like we're ever going to get the answer to why Garrett Walker changed his mind? Do you think that we'll see a scene with Garrett Walker? We'll say, uh, you want to know why I testified, Frank? I don't think we need it that on the nose. I think it's just that, you know, Frank was boasting in front of him and pissed him off. Pissed I him think. Off. 
Yeah, he he brought his wife into it. He made comments about, you know, he belittled him and made comments about how he was the presidency and kind of rubbed his face in it unnecessarily. He didn't need to do that. So Frank got a big head. I think Garrett Walker picked up on it, and that's why he changed his mind. Okay, let's talk about uh, Seth and Sean Jeffries. Uh, You know, we got to see uh, Sean Jeffries hanging out with, uh, what is the name of Tom Hammerschmidt's assistant? I don't know if we've ever gotten her name. Yeah, um, I just have um, Mrs. Sean Jeffries. Mrs. Sean Jeffries. They're not married. They're not married, but that's his uh, girlfriend. And I guess she is taking things out of Hammerschmidt's office to give to Sean Jeffries. And uh, they are hanging out in the bedroom. And my big question here is, what, what time of day is this, Zach? <laughs> Uh, it was like an afternoon delight. Was it afternoon? Because it seemed like it was like nighttime to me. And I don't understand why is she drinking a, a Red Bull in bed? The Red Bull in bed was very weird to me, actually. I wrote that down. Uh, <laughs> what time of day is this? What are they getting ready to do? Is this Red like Bull. some uh, marathon sort of uh, sensual uh, session here where we need to be recharged with Red Bull? Sensual session or sensual? <laughs> it's actually very hard to say, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. And he's like, hey, uh, let me have some of that. Well, she talks about how Hammerschmidt is a workaholic and, you know, works all hours of the night. So maybe she's just expected to be working all night and that's why she's drinking the Bed Bull. I'm not sure. Bed Bull? Yeah, that's what, that's what you call it when you drink Red Bull in bed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it gives you wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, <laughs> Or flings. Yeah, they, they really should have gotten the live feeds in Sean Jeffrey's room. Yeah, well, that would be a good one to uh, have an eye out for. And uh, we see that now Sean Jeffries works in the White House. How'd this happen? Sometimes things happen and you just don't know why. (laughs) Who hired him? Claire? Claire, Jane Davis, maybe. Mark Usher. Well, well, Jane Davis doesn't know him. Uh, Yeah, I guess she might not. Somebody hired him. And Mark Usher doesn't know him. (laughs) Only Claire knows him. Um, Doug knows him. Doug knows what his name is. All right, but Doug didn't hire him. Uh, Doug might have hired him. Why? To- he, the person that's asking all these questions about Anthony Moretti? I mean, if anything, like he had the meeting with Claire. Claire is the one that uh, hates Doug right now. So um, Sean Jeffries is the one who was asking about Anthony Moretti. And Doug, before Sean Jeffries is hired, Doug is watching Seth on the phone with Maggie, the former Health and Human Services uh, Secretary. I thought it was Meredith. Or Meredith, you might be right. Um he was on the phone with her and he mentioned that Sean Jeffries was the one who was asking about it. So Doug knows that Sean Jeffries is asking about this and maybe Doug offered him the job in order to uh, to keep him under their thumb. But why? Why would Doug want the person that's investigating the bad stuff that he did working at the White House so they could compromise him yeah, and keep your friends close and your enemies closer? I think it had to have been Claire that ultimately brought him in, that she's the person that met with him. Also, she's the person who wants more dirt on Doug. Yeah, I mean, it. it I think that's probably the prime candidate. Uh, also, it's Claire is Claire seems to be building Team Claire with Jane Davis, potentially Mark Usher. And so maybe this is going to be her Seth that once Frank is out, she can fire Seth and then Jeffries is your new press secretary. Okay. What about Yates? Uh, we saw him and Claire break up. She kicked him out of the White House, doesn't want him around anymore. What was the impetus to this? Because I feel like if she's fighting with Frank, I don't know why she isn't bringing Yates in closer. Well, 
Um, we did see multiple breakups in this episode. We saw two within like a five minute period. We saw mm-hmm. Claire and Yates and we saw Doug and Laura Moretti. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of and we're starting to see potentially Frank and Claire breaking up. So maybe that's a theme that they're going with. Also, I think that she just doesn't need the Yates distraction right now. She has a lot going on. And if she's going to be president, she can't have like this side piece also. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe that's that's part of it. And, you know, maybe he's just drinking too much of that Keurig coffee. He's filling up a mug. Every time we see him in there, he's eating or drinking something. Maybe he's just a mooch and she's sick of that. Too much coffee, you think, is the problem. Well, I mean, he's he was making a Keurig when she walked in. I could hear it mm-hmm. buzzing. I was like, oh, come on, stop. Yeah. He's trying they, to talk to you. Yeah. You drink a Red Bull at this hour. Stop <laughs> it with the coffee. Bed Bull is where it's at. <laughs> Bed Bull. That's right. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, no matter who you're going to see, what hour of the night, Bed Bull is the drink of choice in House of Cards. And um, anything else from this episode before I get into some of these questions? Um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, talking about themes of this episode, we also saw, you know, the live feeds were obviously a big part of this episode. Um and we also saw Claire talking to us about how we're watching them. So right. watching people Ooh. in surveillance was a theme throughout this episode. Yes, we have the live feeds of House of Cards. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, although they only come once a year and um, everybody watches them very quickly. But, but. they're very OTT. <laughs> Definitely, this show's okay. OTT. Uh, okay. And then the other thing I think that we got to talk about is Eric Rollins. Okay. That was another breakup that we saw in this I, episode. Oh, I know. Uh, what a crazy person he is. He's got a creepy perma smile, according to Claire. Yeah, he does. And now, like, what's going to happen with him? That's another loose end that they got to tie up. Yeah, he seems like a single white female right. uh, for, Frank, for Frank Underwood. He's pretty obsessed with it. You know what? For Frank Underwood, this would be positive news for this to leak. Uh, president cheating on the first lady with his male personal trainer. I think that this would actually be of the many different scandals rocking the White House. This would actually help him the most. Yeah. And you've said that before. You said that the stuff with Tim could help him whenever Frank gets into trouble. You want Frank to leak uh, his sexual orientation because I think it's the kind of thing where it would be a salacious scandal. But I think that people would rally around him where going back to and and there's a lot of talk in the news about the uh, impeachment of Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky stuff as compared to anything that it's swirling around our current real life president. And there's a lot of talk about how when, you know, the Monica Lewinsky story broke and then the Republicans really came after Bill Clinton. That's actually when he the the public, the general public, his poll numbers went up and uh, that he became a more popular president. He focused on just getting stuff done while this sort of like scandal ultimately didn't end up taking him out of office. And then he was able to uh, end up leaving office with a uh, pretty decent uh, approval rating as opposed to some of the previous times in his presidency where it was actually rather low. So this actually was something that he was able to use to pivot to get more popular. I think Frank Underwood could do the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he should do it with somebody who's a little bit more stable. Uh, well, Eric Rollins is is a loose cannon. I don't think you get the pick who uh, you get caught having an affair with, no? Well, t- yeah, I mean, but Frank could. If anybody's so. going to if anybody's going to pick how this story cut, gets out, it would be Frank. All right. Uh let's take a question from Spencer who talks about uh Claire breaking the fourth wall 
after all the swerves in earlier episodes this season, when Claire looked like she was monologuing to the audience, but really wasn't, can we agree that the scene where she monologues after looking for not finding Frank in the bedroom was finally the first wall break for her? I would say that the first was the season four finale, but um, let's not get too hung up on that. Uh, what do you think about her ambivalent, callous attitude towards the audience viewers as opposed to Frank's candid and confident approach to speaking with us? And what is the significance of having Claire break the fourth wall at this moment in the TV series, is it related to how close she is to ascending to the presidency? Is fourth wall breaking a presidential superpower or just an Underwood superpower? Well, it's not a presidential superpower because we saw Frank doing it before he was president. Mm-hmm. But and Garrett Walker never did it yet. It, that we know of. Although he might have been doing it in his mind. Who knows? Um, you know, I think that we can assume that, yeah, that she's getting closer to the power Um, And that's why we're seeing it. This is the closest she's probably ever been to being permanent president. Yes, she was acting president for a couple episodes this season. Um, So I do think that we're seeing that we're seeing it because of that. And maybe because the Underwoods are at a a real turning point. I mean, there's only a couple episodes left this season. Frank is probably going to be getting impeached in the next episode, I would assume. So, you know, this is this is the time for Claire to reveal this to us. Um, and maybe once we see how this whole season plays out, we'll see that this was kind of a linchpin episode. Okay. In terms of the happy birthday leaker at the episode's end, it seems confirmed that Kathy's not the leak, but the information still keeps flowing to the Washington Herald. The content from the first USB stick that Hammer Schmidt received in the episode's beginning centered on the fake terrorist capture in Tennessee. So the leaker seems to be someone who worked closely with the Underwoods during the election episode when things weren't going right for Frank. Based on Leanne's video comment pondering what McAllen gave her, do you think that McAllen had built in a failsafe to take down the Underwoods in the event of his death and is using Leanne as his instrument? Or are we all in for a major swerve when assistant director Green is revealed to be the leak? Who's your primary suspect? Instead of the typical death draft conducted on Poster Recaps podcast, do you guys want to perform an impromptu leak draft? Ooh, leak draft. Okay, leak draft. Yeah. Um, so why don't you go first? Because I think I went first last time. OK, um, I think that I would say, uh, well, I think Leanne, Leanne, the leaker, I think might be my number one pick. And does that include McAllen? Is she is that saying that she's no, doing it I think that, that that is separate from McAllen from beyond the grave. OK, um, so my number two pick I'm going to go with Seth, even though I don't think it's probably Seth, but I do think maybe it's him. We haven't seen him a lot this season. Maybe he's doing stuff off screen. Um, And then my other pick, it's got to be Jane Davis. And that's who I actually think it is. Jane Davis. Now, Jane Davis wasn't working on the campaign at that time. But Jane Davis has connections everywhere. And I think there's a lot of ways that you could draw a line from this information to Jane Davis, including... McAllen tells this to Petrov. Petrov probably is going to end up being connected to Jane Davis. So is that the line? Hmm. I mean, there's only so many other people it could be. You have Doug and you have Green. And are there any other players here that would wouldn't even know about this stuff? I have another uh, dark horse, actually. That I will, I will. So after your pick, I'll pick my okay. dark horse. Okay. Uh, I mean, let me, let me just talk this through here. Could it be Claire? Could Claire be the leaker? Sure. 
Claire could become president and she knows all of this information. Yeah. Because there's only so many people that it could be. Green is like, uh, you know, so what? Who cares? I and green's, a total, green's a total blue herring, too. Frank said Agent Green, so it's not going to be Agent Green. Uh, I'll go with Claire. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. I think that's a good pick. She probably could have been the number one pick, honestly, because right. she's so. I mean, this is this would lock in the presidency for her. She has the most to gain, and also her line about "I don't trust your intentions." Like maybe that's why we didn't see her doing this. She did it behind our back. Yeah. So what if it's Conway? Conway. Yeah, I mean, well, how Conway, does he know this? Well, he called out Frank for a lot of his actions. Maybe Conway is connected. Maybe Usher's feeding information to Conway still. Maybe somebody else is feeding Conway information. But, I mean, that's a way to bring Conway back into this uh, back into this story a little bit. Because I do it, – it bothers me how abruptly the Conways just exited this show and we just, like, didn't see him anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So – we could get Conway back for the last couple episodes. I think that's just House of Cards. Uh, okay, I'll go one more pick. I'll go Green because uh, he's the one person they're not monitoring on surveillance now. So uh, he could get, be the one to get away with it. Yeah. Okay. Did uh, Have you ever seen the movie Zodiac? No. Um, so this, is, this reminded me a lot of how the Zodiac Killer, which is based on a true story, um, how he sent the San Francisco Chronicle puzzles and and messages about his about his murders Mm -hmm. this i don't know if it was intentional but it reminded me quite a bit of zodiac also a good movie if you want to uh watch a thriller okay scott writes to us to say why did claire cut tom out of her life so mercilessly after telling him about the deaths frank committed and at a time when she might need her own support it depended of frank curious timing yeah it is curious timing but yates says such weird stuff and he's so like He's just annoying. So I feel like maybe she just got annoyed with him. Okay. What if Yates is the leak? Yates is the leak. Interesting. Uh, why now? Why would he try to... Uh, that? Oh, he feels like if he takes down Frank, then he is the person who can... I just... Did, did he know about the... Like, Yates is not smart enough to pull this off. Yeah, probably not. I'm just thinking he's been around... Right. In the back, he's been lurking in the background. But a he lot, doesn't get so. this type of classified intel. I don't know if he actually knew what they did with, uh, uh, was it Muhammad Kalabi? Was that the guy that they arrested? Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know the information on the second flash drive. What if the information on the second flash drive is Frank killed Zoe Barnes, Frank killed Pete Rousseau, which mm. is what Claire told Yates in bed? That would confirm that it was Yates. I guess so, but he doesn't have any evidence. I mean, that Hammerschmidt could have made that USB drive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, he doesn't have know. like any sort of like uh, proof on that that he could put on a flash drive. I hope it's something really interesting. If it's if it's boring, if it's if it's just like Agent Green or Kathy, that's that's boring. Okay. And then finally, uh, we have from Johnny De Silvera who wants to know who would kill Aiden. Wouldn't the gun have been left at the scene if they wanted to make it look like a suicide? Yeah, we found out that the gun wasn't there in the death of McAllen. So we are officially ruling this a murder. Yeah, that. But we saw the gun was sitting on the bed when they showed McAllen. So are they dead. lying to Leanne? Potentially. I mean, it was weird that the FBI agent said, well, maybe the hotel staff just picked it up. Like what what cleaning person is in there, finds McAllen and is like, oh, I'll just move this gun. Oh, somebody left their gun at this murder. I I did like that scene a lot because you could tell Leanne was starting to freak out because that was her gun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's her gun. It's probably got her fingerprints on it. Maybe it's registered to her, although you can't have a gun in D.C., but maybe she might live in Virginia or something. 
So who knows, you know, if that gun could be traced back to her. Maybe the FBI knows that it could be traced back to her, and that's why they went to her house to talk to her about it. All right, Zach, good stuff here in Chapter 63. Only two hours left of House of Cards for us here in Season 5. And lots of loose ends and open questions that I'm going to be annoyed if we don't get answers to, just because we don't even know if this show's coming back. So I'm hoping that it gets wrapped up in a nice little bow in case we only have two hours ever left of this show. (laughs) I, I feel like... It's going to come back, right? Yeah, it probably will. It's, it's like one of the probably. one of the Netflix mainstays. I feel like that even if it doesn't get the full season renewal, I feel like they'll at least do like six episodes to close it out if that's the case. Yeah, like House of Cards Live Another Day or something like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have to go with Bed Bull for the hashtag? Good, yeah, that was uh, that was the hashtag I wanted to go with. So Okay, good. Um Zach, excellent work. Yes. We've got only one more piece in this podcast to talk about, which is going to be chapter 64. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to uh, hear from uh, one of the other podcasts here on Podcast One. And when we come back, you ready to do chapter 64? Uh, I can't wait. All right. All right. We'll be right back after this. Hi, guys. It's Becca Tobin, Kelsey Knight, and Jack Vanek. And we are the Lady Gang, as in the Lady Gang podcast. And this summer, we have something extra special, not just celebrity interviews, but we are helping you Lady Gang your life slash get your shit together. What do we have coming up, Kelsey? Hormone expert, nutrition expert, fitness expert, sex expert, dermatologists, people shooting up your faces with syringes, telling us what it's all about. It's all the important things you need to Lady Gang your life. Every Tuesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Hey everybody, before you jump into this chapter 62, 63, and 64 recap of House of Cards, just a little bit of setup that we forgot, I forgot, uh, please forgive me, to mention that we were going to be covering all three of those episodes, that we were completely unspoiled in our recording of chapter 62 and 63. So just like we've been doing all season long, we watched chapter 62, we recorded a podcast, we watched chapter 63, we recorded a podcast, we watched chapter 64, we recorded a podcast. Isn't that right, Zach? Yeah, that was what we did, and that was a great idea. All right, so proceed to listen to our unspoiled recap of Chapter 62 coming up next. And we're back, Chapter 64. Wow, uh, Zach. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Well, I need to. I need a moment to catch my breath, to center myself. After Do you need some Nicorette gum? That one. What? I mean, I, I don't know uh, what the top story. I guess the top story is Frank Underwood has uh, stepped down as the president of the United States. He's announced that he's stepped down as the president of the United States. Uh, let's see if he actually goes through with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, I mean, we had the call when he resigned with Conway earlier this season. I mean, it does set up a scenario where Claire Underwood, it would be the new president. I mean, we saw him have that conversation with Jane about how bad do you want her to be president? So I do feel like that this is going to stick yeah, uh, well, I guess we can agree to disagree on that because I don't. I don't think so. I think we're going to end the season uh, with Frank Underwood still as president. Okay, but I mean, so he he walked away, and then because of this committee, that that's they say you don't have me to kick around anymore, and then like America's like, no, no, we're sorry, we're sorry, we want you to come back. <laughs> No, I think um, we might be getting into a war or something. You know, there's going to be some kind of attack, maybe some some sort of emergency that uh, deflects the need for him to step down right now. Okay. well, we have that to follow. Uh, Yates is dead. 
No more Yates. Yes. And the foreshadowing was there all season long. I did not feel good about Yates going forward. Going back to that line where we saw Claire and Yates in the kitchen and uh, he was drinking from the faucet or uh, he was filling up a glass of water. And Claire Underwood said to him, uh, boy, uh, you know, that tap water will kill you. And he's like, well, there's worse ways to go and something like that. Well, there's also better ways to go. Yeah, I mean, better if you're going to go, that's that's not a bad way to go. Not a bad way to go. Not a bad way to go. Certainly. Uh, I think there was another line that really sort of foreshadowed uh, Yates not making it. And uh, sure enough, uh, that came home to roost here in this episode. Yep. And uh, I actually so I watched the episode uh, almost two times. I watched it all the way through and then the first half again. And then I watched the Frank Underwood monologue again. And they definitely um, foreshadow the the Yates death in this episode, too. I don't know if you picked up on it and what exactly happened. So, you know, Claire reveals that bottle of the Chinese herb after she kills Yates, that that eyedropper bottle. And so I was really confused by that. I was like, did Jane Davis give that to Claire? Is that poison that she was trying to poison Claire Underwood? Like what was going on there? Uh, And Jane Davis just gives it to her and says, make sure you watch the dosage. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. She says that, like, only two drops. But to me, I bet I was saying to myself, wait, hold on. So this headache remedy is lethal if you have more than two drops and she's giving it to the you know, the, the president? Like, what <laughs> yeah, happens if she takes three? What happens if she takes four? I mean, did she pour the whole thing in there? Like, it's like a little bit will cure your headache. What, what is this, like Game of Thrones? Yeah, uh, some sort of uh, milk of the poppy. Remedy. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like milk of the poppy. I don't know. I think um, you know, and and then that opens the question: Did Claire know that Yates was going to die? Did she know that by doing this, it was going to kill him? I guess why else would she? Put yeah, that in I his think drink? so. I think that that's the idea here. Yeah, but, but uh, interesting way to go. To me, my big question here is that for Claire Underwood, Yates is a problem. Certainly. He had this manuscript, but he didn't give it to anybody else. And it seemed like a potential problem that maybe could be managed, certainly a loose end. But what is the worst problem for Claire Underwood? Having Yates with his manuscript, which could get out, or having Mark Usher with the knowledge that Claire Underwood committed a murder and leaving the body for Mark Usher, of all people, to clean up. Doesn't that seem like the bigger future liability? Yeah, yeah, I do think um, they're putting a lot of trust in Jane Davis and Mark Usher, and we've felt questionable about that uh, the whole season. So that that does seem like a, a bigger liability and this just seems like this was kind of an easy problem that they could have fixed. Um, although they don't really reveal what was in that book about Claire, because she said there were things in the book about her that she had never told anybody else except Yates. Yeah, well, I think the thing about that they killed Zoe Barnes and then, uh, the, you know, Frank's done horrible things that they killed uh, Peter as well. I think that that was the stuff that was in the book that was going to corroborate some of the Hammerschmidt investigations. But what we saw Mark Usher say about Romero, like, oh, yeah, he was in this uh, sort of sex scandal and he was one of the people that was, you know, that's what they told the dean. So he is definitely somebody who is uh, peddling this oppo research that goes around in D.C., 
Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark Usher was a little bit more involved with this than he is with the Romero thing, obviously. So maybe there's maybe there's something there that, um, you know, he set up this house for her to meet Yates. He's a little bit more complicit. He's helping cover it up. Uh, you still probably don't want him having this intel. You don't want him having any intel on you. But yeah. Um, he is he's a little bit involved. Okay, uh, another huge story, and we'll we'll drill down into everything uh, with more detail. But again, a night where there's so many different stories that we need to be covering. Doug is going to take the fall for Zoe Barnes, but also Doug was the leak to Tom Hammerschmidt. That still doesn't make sense to me. That I don't understand why Doug was the leak. Um, unless Doug is going to go back on his word that he says he's going to take the fall for these things. Um, and he does seem like by the end of the episode, he's ready to take the blame for Zoe Barnes in place of killing Rachel. This is punishment for killing Rachel. So you feel like that this is like some sort of a penance that Doug is putting upon himself? Yeah, definitely. Because the things that he says to Leanne when he's, you know, he's laying on Leanne's couch, almost like he's seeing a therapist. And he, you know, he tells Leanne that she just wanted to disappear. And, you know, I just wanted what was best for her. And I cared. I cared about her. Um, You know, I'm trying to find the exact words in my notes, but he he definitely was talking about Rachel when he was describing Zoe to Leanne. Mm-hmm. So so he's punishing himself, which we've seen Doug punish himself before on this show. But is there a master plan here from Doug or is he just so blindly loyal to Frank that he you know thinks nothing of taking the fall? He just wants Frank to love him so much. That's why he does what he's doing. Yeah. And then even when Leanne talks to him about his dedication, he says, oh, you don't think you're questioning my loyalty, Mm -hmm. you're questioning my dedication. And she says, no, I think you're too dedicated and you need to step away from this. We'll be okay." Yeah. So we'll see what's going on with Doug. But why the leaking? If he's so loyal to Frank to a fault, then why send these leaks out to Hammerschmidt? I mean, he is the person that was forcing Green's hand. Unless, was he trying to throw the blame onto somebody else? Was he trying to throw a Leanne or a Mark Usher under the bus? And that's why he was putting the leaks out there. And he knew that Frank would never consider him to be a source of the leaks. That might be one way. Um, and I, we'll definitely get more about the leaks in the finale, I would think. Um, and, and that was a reveal. I don't think either of us picked Doug. He was nowhere on our radar right. for the leakers. So um, Mostly you know, because it made show. no sense for Doug to be the leaker. No. And it still doesn't <sighs> quite make sense. Um, unless, you know, going back to what I was saying on the last uh, the last segment, that this is all a big plan by Frank and Claire. And they're actually doing a lot of things behind our backs that we don't know about that we're going to get revealed in the finale. Where Doug is going to be able to get off for doing these things? Yeah, I mean, they might not be able to even, you know, they don't have any evidence of Zoe Barnes. Um, the, the cell phone, the cell phone evidence was made up. We have Doug saying that he did it, but you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, uh, confess to any authorities about mm-hmm. that. So maybe this is all just a plan. You know, the leaks, everything was all part of Frank and Claire's plan. And there's more to this than meets the eye. I did like when Frank and Claire were talking about what they were going to do. And they sort of come up with that. They're going to throw Doug under the bus. And Frank says to Claire, like, oh, poor Doug. 
uh, he's so unlucky. <laughs> like, yeah. He's so unlucky that he decided to be blindly loyal to us. Uh, what a what an unlucky choice that was for poor Doug. Yeah, I, I will feel bad if Doug ends up taking the fall for Frank. I feel like this is probably has been one of Frank's last resorts that he's been grooming Doug for all these years as his his kind of number two guy um, and having him do all of these terrible things for Frank. But if, if, you know, the heat comes for Frank, he's going to throw Doug to the wolves. Certainly. And there's a little bit in that episode in the Claire and Yates scene where Yates says to Claire, you know, that night that you guys got into that big fight, I believe that was the end of season three, the season three finale. You said that you guys are murderers. He said that you're survivors. And there was a little bit of a question about Claire, and she sort of pinned Zoe Barnes and Pete Rousseau on Frank. But tonight, Claire Underwood is clearly a murderer as well. Or a survivor, depending on your perspective of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, those things can be mutually exclusive. A survivor does not make a murderer, Zach. Let the record show. Uh, Tom Yates is survived by his love, Claire Underwood. <laughs> yes, that's, that is uh, in the obituary, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. that, will be, uh, uh, that will be written. Um, let's also talk about what's going on with Hammerschmidt, because we had another little bit of a left turn there where that Sean Jeffrey's girlfriend is actually working for Tom Hammerschmidt. And can they give her a name? <laughs> like you might be able to get her name on IMDb if you looked it up. I'm, I don't want to get spoiled on anything, so I'm not looking anything up on this show. But look, we pay a lot of attention to this show. We mm-hmm. take a lot of notes and we have not heard her name once. I'm sure it was said at one point. Let me see. I, I don't think we'll get spoiled if we look at Chapter 64, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's fine. But I, you know, it's more that the show usually does a good job of they have so many characters on this show and they usually do a good job of dropping who the name of these people are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like say her name, just just say it once. Give us a first name, give us a last name, something, not just, you know, Sean Jeffrey's Sunbay. <laughs> Sunbay. I don't think it's a Sunbay uh, Hubei relationship. I mean, if it is, it feels like that uh, the Sunbay Hubei relationship would be more between her and Tom Hammerschmidt. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, that would be his bay, but not Sunday. Just his regular bay. Regular. Okay. That's his uh, hashtag. Regular bay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and according to IMDb, her name is Angela. She's an angel. Yeah. And so Angela, the whole time that Tom Hammerschmidt was like, had that this come up? Where it's like, all right, here's the new plan. Remember that guy that used to work here, Sean Jeffries? I need you to get close to him. Go undercover. Date him. Get in bed with him. Drink Red Bull. Don't lock your phone. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, wait till you're asleep and see if he ends up. I'll send you fake emails of stuff I want him to know to leak to the White House. I mean, this is a really elaborate plan. I kind of like that plan. It's it's a little harebrained and crazy, um, but... I don't know. I'm a fan of it. She probably had so much that she had to keep track of and think about. That's why she has to drink Red Bull. Mm -hmm. Like she's just got to be alert and, you know, coffee's not going to do it. So she's got to drink Red Bull, get those angel wings and uh, be able to pull this plan off. Yeah. Well, at least Tom Hammerschmidt wanted her to get with a hot guy. I mean, it could have been a lot worse where it's like, uh, all right, we need you to uh, get into the White House and 
uh, we need you to have a relationship with, I don't know. With Tom Hammerschmidt. Yeah, with, with, Tom, <laughs> with uh, Tom Hammerschmidt. Yeah, with me. I mean, that's sexual harassment at that point. Yeah, that's true. I was just trying to think of like, you know, who, who would be an unattractive I mean, there's a lot of hot guys show. on this show. Yeah. So that uh, she, uh, you know, could have gotten a worse draw than Sean Jeffries. Yeah. Well-dressed I mean, guy. Would've, Seth wouldn't have been very good. Seth is such a creeper. Yeah. So luckily uh, she uh, got the better straw in the White House press office. Yeah. And, you know, there was a good line in here, too, where they talk about how this isn't the job that it used to be. And that, you know, it's OK because she's lying to a liar uh, and just shows you that, you know, every side of this has to resort to some dirty tactics, not just the politicians. Yeah, and I think maybe this helps explain why she was so affected by uh, that the Zoe Barnes uh, dying ended up like, uh, I forget what she what piece of evidence she saw that really uh, made her upset and maybe because uh, she feels like that she's going down a similar path. But when the picture of Rachel and Lisa disappeared from Hammerschmidt's office and he's like, hey, where's my picture? Where's my photo strip of Lisa and Rachel? And then she was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, And we saw that Sean Jeffries had it. Like, how do we explain this in all the chicanery? Well, you know, the only the only way I can think of it is maybe this wasn't the plan all along. And then. Um, and then they start figuring out that they have, you know, Sean Jeffries hasn't always been working in the White House. That's a new development. So maybe this is a newer plan by Hammerschmidt and, uh, and Angela. Okay. Leanne is back in the fold. And uh, is this problematic? No, I think it's good. Uh, I think it's good for Leanne. She's looking like that she's pretty loyal to the Underwood. She's in all white this episode. She gives her testimony and it and it backs up what the Underwoods have been saying. So. Uh, I think she's back on team Frank and Claire. Okay. One other major thing that we didn't talk about yet from this episode. Uh, the episode starts in very dramatic fashion where Kathy and Frank are having a conversation. Kathy is saying that she is going to testify against the Underwoods. Frank says, well, Kathy, you're going to have to take the fall. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And he violently pushes her down the stairs into a wall she is not dead. Uh, she is injured. And at some point, Kathy Durant is going to come too. no. You would think and you would think that she will say, yeah, I didn't fall. I didn't slip. This was Frank Underwood. Yeah. I mean, does somebody need to go into the hospital and then try to assassinate Kathy Durant so she never talks? Because this is a pretty damning story. I mean, or does it not even matter at this point? I mean, we've got Claire Underwood with the Chinese herb, so maybe she can just go put some, uh, you know, three or four drops of the Chinese herb in Kathy Durant's IV and, um, you know, take care of that problem, too. I guess so. I think that that's probably going to show up on some sort of like toxicology report No, Well, it's herbal. It's herbal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was. I. uh, I think that we probably will not see Kathy Durant in the finale. She, this is going to be one of these like middle of next season. We forget about Kathy Durant and she comes back into the fold. Yeah, the Kathy Durant story. I mean, it really is uh, very over the top. And we saw at the Washington Herald where uh, Tom Hammerschmidt is saying, like, don't you think it's weird that uh, Kathy Durant is hurt? Like, whoa, whoa, uh, what's going on? <laughs> conspiracy theory, Hammerschmidt. Yeah, she just fell slipping Kathy. That's all. Yeah. Just like uh, knocked her uh, right out. 
We also had a lot with Jane Davis in this episode and uh, really starting to pinpoint some of her uh, specific viewpoints. She talked with Mark Usher. She believes in Claire Underwood. Why? why well, first, why did the Syrian baby affect her so much? Yeah, I wasn't exactly clear on what it was about the Syrian baby that got to her. Did she have um, a baby with Mark Usher? Maybe. Okay. I mean, that, that, that seems like that's totally out there. But with this show, I could totally see that being some sort of reveal um you know it does is that seem baby like, doug is, is time traveling doug <laughs> Wait, i mean uh how old is doug oh you mean doug okay not the baby that she was holding not the syrian baby no <laughs> okay. the syrian baby is not doug yes okay uh no i don't think doug is their child <laughs> <laughs> that'd be something and that that's why Mark twist. Usher hates uh, Doug and vice versa. They have uh, daddy issues. It's like a Luke Skywalker, <laughs> Darth Vader type thing. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, would, be the, that yes, would be the twist the show needs. I am your father. Like, no! <laughs> Just gets a bottle of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Takes care of that. Yeah. yeah, and then he cuts off his hand. It, you know, it's very dramatic. It certainly would be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we get into a uh, some sort of a duel between uh, Doug and um, <laughs> and Daddy Usher. Yeah, yeah. So. All the all the best uh, stampers have daddy issues, right? That's the name of the lost episode. That's right. All right. Um, so uh, I really love the scene uh, towards the end of the episode where Frank was back down in that cellar with Jane Davis, talking about what she wants versus what he wants. Yeah, um, you know, I think we've probably gotten some Jane Davis and Frank one on one, but it's always good when we're getting conversations in the stairwell and they always have that spot where Petrov put the cigar out on the wall. It's like, you know, that that, you know, you're going to get a good scene when you see something taking place in, in that unoccupied stairwell that has no video surveillance. Yeah, there's uh, many great scenes going back to, I think that's season three episode where we had uh, Petrov at the White House when they were first really introducing him and he put his, I mean, you would think that somebody would have cleaned it, but I guess that Frank likes the uh, sort of story and the uh, urban legends of that, uh, that he described that back when he was going through everything with Dunbar. He's like, uh, this is where the men in their smoky room and their backroom deals make the decisions that really, you know, so that, that was basically the gist of what he was saying with her. And like he pointed to that. Uh, they love that shot. Yeah. Uh, no, and this this is, you know, it's really nice to have a, a set piece, you know, and just a setting where, you know, when there's a scene going on in there, pay attention because this is going to be some important stuff. This is when they're revealing their true intentions. Right. Um, and, you know, even the last episode, this is where we had Claire and Jane Davis meeting when Claire was off of the live feeds for 45 minutes. Right. And say nothing of Frank and Eric and uh, what happened to uh, Frank's cigar. We don't even need to go explore that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where that got extinguished. Right. Yeah, it was eventually extinguished. Yeah. Right. One of the things I want to touch on, I've been meaning to talk about this for a couple episodes, is I've been really impressed with the score this episode, or this season in particular, where the music, have you, have you noticed anything with the music this season? Um, not in particular. I noticed, you know, there was like the crash of music when Frank pushes Kathy Durant, but otherwise I didn't notice anything in particular. I'm not sure if it's one particular cue or they've just uh, scored everything particularly well. 
But to me, I feel like that the House of Cards season five has borrowed almost from the leftovers, uh, maybe not even intentionally, but it's a similar sort of where you have piano and then uh, very fast, intense strings playing over that. And especially when we have characters like walking around, moving uh, quickly. Like, I really think that the music has been especially dramatic and really has heightened the intensity for a lot of things this season. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of drama in the finale, so I'll definitely pay attention yeah, to that. Yeah, take a look for that. And it's really, I mean, it's similar to that one particular music cue that they happen to play on The Leftovers a lot, which is also mm-hmm. uh, very effective there. But uh, yeah, see if you uh, notice the music in uh, Chapter 65. All right, you said you watched uh, Frank Underwood's speech more than once. And so I have a really burning question in terms of the speech that Frank gives. How much of what Frank said to the grand jury or the or the congressional inquiry, whatever it's called, how much of that was actually said? Were there any moments in that speech where Frank was breaking the fourth wall and talking to us or was everything that he said in that room delivered out to the world? I mean, there was definitely one big segment at the beginning that appears like that was delivered to the committee. Then Frank turns to the camera and he delivers, uh, you know, his second fourth wall or his second monologue, which is the fourth wall break where he walks around the table and is looking at us. Then he goes back to addressing the committee again. And then at the very end, he breaks the fourth wall after he says he'll accept, you know, he'll accept any questions that they want to ask. And he he responds and says, but there won't be any. So, okay, this is an important distinction to make because I think it's unclear how much of this did he say in the room and how much of this was where he has this ability that we first saw this season during the governor's meetings when he can basically stop time and have a conversation with us and then go back to what he's doing. We saw that during the inauguration and it was clear what he was doing there. But this was in the middle of this speech where he's making this bold statement i i i'd love to watch that again yeah and i mean you know i did notice that you can see like there's a photographer in the background and she's still clicking her camera you know click right. click click click, and click, she's, click click she's still taking pictures and moving her hands while he's talking so people are still it's not like time has stopped while he's delivering this it seems like there is still some activity going on in the background mm-hmm. so you know maybe you know, the alternate version of this is that he's giving them more information. He's he's kind of giving them just like boilerplate um, lies while he's telling us something that's a little bit more true. Um, and I do have most of what he says. I didn't I wasn't able to transcribe it word for word, but I have the gist of what he says. And we can go through the different lines that he says. And you know, let's do that. Point out if there's something that you think is not uh, was not actually delivered. OK, so, um, you know, in. in I don't have the Frank Underwood impression that you have, okay. but he starts off with, uh, you know, I've agreed to appear because I'm guilty, right. guilty of spending the last 30 years in this Congress and in this house trying to do the people's work. And you accuse me of pay to play. So I think all of that is for sure delivered to that. I right? agree. OK, I accuse you of doing the exact same thing. I accuse you of playing politics only when it suits you. All of you are being paid. All of you are serving a master. 
so that again is all delivered to them, right? Yes. Then he says, even you Romero and your crusade to take me down is, is it for justice or is it for personal gain trying to fill the hole in your heart? Okay. I think that was all to the audience. No, I mean to That's, the uh, to the audience in the, in the room, the, to the uh, to the to the cameras. Yeah, I'll okay. say that. You accuse me of breaking the rules, but I'm playing by the rules we all play by. I'm guilty, but so are all of you. You wanted a guardian like me at the gates who will do whatever it takes. You have been party to it. You have benefited from it, and you have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's all still to the the room to the cameras. I think that maybe we might get to the point where he's breaking the fourth wall when he stands. I think that that might be the clue to us that this is different than what has happened in the first part. Right. And that I actually have that marked in my in my notes. I have fourth wall written and then he turns to us and he says, oh, don't deny it. You've enjoyed it, too. You don't need and this is this is him addressing us. You don't know. You don't need me to stand for anything. You need me to stand to be a strong man and be a man of action. You're all addicted to action and slogans. It doesn't matter what I say or what I do, as long as I'm doing something you're enjoying, bringing you along for the ride. But I don't blame you with all the foolishness and indecision in your lives. Why not a man like me? I don't apologize. Mm -hmm. And then he continues, this is him still talking to us. In the end, I don't care if you love me or hate me as long as I win. The deck is stacked. The rules are rigged. Welcome to the death of the age of reason. There is no right or wrong, only being in or being out. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to addressing them. So during right. all of that, he might have been giving them some other speech. Well, that, when did he sit? Uh, I don't have when he sits. I think he sits after he says he doesn't apologize because I have a break there. So I think that might be when he sits. Yeah. The idea of, you know, as long as I win, I think that that is something where it feels like that this is uh, very much uh, holding up a mirror to the uh, modern politics. I have to feel like that there is some Trump overtones in uh, what the show is saying at this point. Do you, am I uh, reading uh, too much uh, into this? No, I mean, I do get I do get certain aspects of this um, feeling like it might be based on Trump. But, um, you know, again, we've said and they've said that they wrote this before, um, although he was always a possibility. So maybe maybe when they wrote this, they figured, oh, Trump's definitely going to lose. Let's let's write a character like what if Trump had won. But Trump has always said, we're going to win. We're going to win so much. America, we never win anymore. And you're gonna, we're going to win so much. We're going to get tired of winning. I, I feel like that word in particular, that seems like that that is a, uh, a definitely an allusion to Trump. Yeah, but throughout the season and probably throughout the series, Frank has said that he never loses. He always wins. So he's talked about winning quite a bit this mm-hmm. season. So I think that's just pulling on that thread. Frank ultimately uh, says, uh, I will not wear the target for you anymore. The party's over. The ride is done. And as of uh, 6 p.m. tomorrow evening, I am stepping down as president. And I think that 6 p.m. tomorrow evening is the key part, because why not just resign as of right now? Hmm. Maybe he has to get his stuff. 
Yeah, he's giving himself a little bit of wiggle room there. Okay, we'll see. I do like this. I think like that this is going to play well. I think that people are going to uh, like this. Say like, yeah, you know what? That uh, Frank Underwood is being uh, wrongfully uh, accused here. Is is this version of Frank Underwood that he's putting on not inspired by Trump, but more inspired by like Bernie Sanders? How so? And just saying like. You know, this is the system, you know, this is the system, the rules you guys all play by. I'm just playing by the rules you all play by and I'm over playing by the rules. I'm an outsider now. Well, I think that both Trump and Bernie Sanders uh, both have that of, you know, I am the outsider. The system is broken. You need me to come in and fix the system. And, you know, that I think this is Frank Underwood throwing his hands up and saying that this corrupt system isn't going to break me. I'm going to walk away from it, you know, uh, that uh, I can't win at this game. So I'm ultimately leaving because uh, this is what you guys and your corrupt system has done to me. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely a, a shift by Frankie saying, you know, this is the way I've acted for 30 years and I'm done with it. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe he's not resigning. You know, even if he doesn't resign in the show as president, maybe his public image can resign mm -hmm. this politician role. He's no longer playing the role of a politician. He's playing the role of a, you know, of a leader of the people. Right. He's got, he really has uh, a lot of populist uh, undertones, underwood tones in <laughs> terms of uh, what he what he's doing, where, you know, Bernie has said that, you know, the system is broken. Trump really, uh, especially pre-election, went on uh, a lot of we need to drain the swamp. Washington is broken. You need me in there uh, and try to frame Hillary as more of the establishment person. So I do think that for the most part that that I, I'm the outsider that, you know, I'm an anti-establishment does tend to play well with voters. Yeah. And it does, you know, it, this does tie back to what he says to us, what Frank says to us, where he says, welcome to the death of the age of reason. There is no right or wrong, only being in and being out. And maybe that refers to, you know, being perceived now as an outsider. Mm -hmm. And that's what he wants to do. Yeah. Well, I think that he could end up being a popular first gentleman after this. Yeah, I just don't think he's going back to being first gentleman. I think he's staying on as president. Somehow he's going to get out of his resignation. We'll see. I, I will see. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of other shoes to fall here, uh, including everything going on with Tom Hammerschmidt. Yeah, I, um, Tom Hammerschmidt is definitely a loose end out there. And there's, I mean, there's the McAllen stuff. There's... Um, you know, there are lots of loose ends, but they, it does seem like things are starting to get tied up. Maybe the next episode will just be an hour of tying up loose ends. Mm -hmm, yeah, a lot of stuff to still uh, figure out. Also, if Doug is going to stand trial for Zoe Barnes, I mean, is Doug admitting to the like the murder of Zoe Barnes and then uh, everything with Rachel? Is that enough to get Frank Underwood off the hook for everything? Is that the key to the uh, all the Hammerschmidt stuff? It seems like Doug and the Underwoods think that just having Doug be the fall guy and even Hammerschmidt thinks it was Doug who killed Zoe Barnes. You know, he doesn't suspect that it was actually Frank Underwood who pushed Zoe, Bar Zoe Barnes in front of the train. What's the most damning thing that Hammerschmidt has? I mean, I think he just has a lot of of kind of circumstantial evidence. I don't know if he has anything that's like a smoking gun. He does have these leaks and we don't know exactly what's in these leaks in Doug has four or five more happy birthday cards. 
Yeah. So I maybe mean, there's more coming. Bad job by Doug uh, hiding like uh, nine happy birthday cards uh, in his desk at work. Like, I feel like that that seems like uh, that might be a little bit of a red flag. Well, I mean, you know, you haven't worked in an office in a while, but there are a lot of birthday cards that go around the office and somebody has to get it started. Well, Doug is in charge of White House. <laughs> uh, everybody signed the card. Other duties as required, I think, is what they call that. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see if that's it. What was the big scoop that Tom Hammerschmidt had at the end of season four that he went to the White House with? Was that 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 the president had Lucas Goodwin? Uh, Is that what the uh, he was going there with? Oh, man, you're really making me try to remember something from like a year and a half ago, even though I rewatched the episode recently. Um, I think it was all the Tusk stuff. Tusk. Uh, I think it was like the Tusk and and Garrett Walker stuff. I think it was that um, that investigation. Right. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know. Maybe nothing will stick. Hammerschmidt has been a problem in the Underwood side for a long time. Underwood is Teflon. Nothing sticks to him. Yeah. And even Hammerschmidt, uh, his for his fellow journalists in that meeting, you know, they were telling him he sounds like a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. He needs to get some hard evidence. Get some hard evidence, uh, Hammerschmidt. But he's got he's got his he's got his finger on the pulse of Frank Underwood. He he correctly identifies the Frank Underwood has no morals, has no North Star. And, uh, you know, I never would have thought Tom Hammerschmidt would be the one who gets who Frank Underwood is of everybody on this show. He does. Uh, what about the testimony of Green? Uh, we saw that he was very reluctant. Doug really forced his hand. Does that sort of uh, clear up anything going on with the Muhammad Kalabi? Um, it seems like it. It seems like that's going to, you know, they Green says the FBI, this is how the FBI works. And I'm proud to be an FBI agent. And we were working off of intel that was coming in very quickly. So um, I, I was surprised to see that because Green seems to have disdain for Frank Underwood now. Yeah. Not happy. He says, yeah, he says he wishes he was the leak. There, it was one thing when Green was just pushing around uh, little twerps like Gavin. But now, uh, you know, he's in too deep. Yeah. Although he didn't seem to have any reluctance about threatening a, a hamster. Yes. Or guinea pig. Guinea pig. Yeah, that was fine. That was all in, uh, you know, the Call of Duty. But this is uh, too much. Yeah. This is too much. Um, one other interesting observation uh, we had where Claire was looking at a new piece of art. And again, we've talked about how the show likes to have characters uh, reflecting on uh, the arts, uh, whether it's different books, especially paintings. And Claire, uh, well, Jane Davis didn't really like the painting. Claire said, for me, it's a pure feeling of light versus dark, which really ties into uh, so many of the uh, different tones, uh, both literal and figurative, of House of Cards. Yep. And uh, and it actually was really interesting. Something I picked up when I rewatched it was they have this discussion of the painting being light versus dark and the point where they meet right after Jane Davis tells Claire to be careful with the dosing on the Chinese herb. Yeah. Be very careful with that. So she tells her to be careful, you know, whether Claire knows that the time or not, you know, this is the poison she's going to use to kill somebody. I believe the first person we've ever seen Claire Underwood directly murder on screen. And then right after that, she's talking about light versus dark and the point where they meet and, you know, Claire really going to the dark side at that point. Okay, and then what is to come of the Aiden McCallan message to Leanne? 
Yeah, that was interesting. So we now know that Jane Davis, not some housekeeper at the hotel, was the one who took the gun. Um, how did she know the gun was there? How did she know about Aiden McCallan? You know, maybe she had men that were the ones who actually killed him or, um, you know, maybe they were just watching him and they knew he had died. And so they, they went in there to, to pick up her gun. But some sort of power move um, wants to make sure she has Leanne under her thumb. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into uh, some of these emails we have about this episode. And so uh, let's pick it up with uh, Spencer Y., who wants to ask about uh, foreshadowing a war on terror. Spencer writes, with Claire's ascension to the presidency and the investigation committee likely to shift their focus on Claire to scrutinize her role in Frank's crimes, do you think that the scenes and references inside this episode pertaining to Syria, the foreign colonel's visit, capturing Al-Amadi, and Jane and Usher's walk and talk about the U.S. presence in the Middle East are seemingly adding up to a manufactured terror attack and subsequent declaration of war against ICO. Do the Underwoods need to play this awful card, whether or not Claire's presidency got off to a smooth start? Is the distraction necessary? There's a lot of Middle East uh, stuff floating around uh, in this episode, uh, as Spencer pointed out. Where is this going, Zach? I mean, my prediction is that this is going to be something that's going to get happen between the end of this episode and 6 p.m. the next day. So we don't have Frank Underwood resigning. OK. And it's just like, well, you know, there's so much going on that uh, I changed my mind. I am uh, going to take back my resignation. I am the only one who can protect you. I'm the only one who knows what you need and what you want. So, you know, something along those lines. I could see that. Um, and we did, we were introduced to another character connection of Jane Davis's, um, his name is Nasser mm-hmm. and, uh, and he is, uh, connected with Ico, but it sounds like he wants to, you know, he doesn't want war. He doesn't want killing. He wants peace and really is interested, uh, more in, in kind of some of the oil and money than, um, than the, the terror part of Ico. Right. That. Did I hear that correctly, that Ico wants to be trading on the NASDAQ in 10 years? That's what Nasser wants, or Nasir. Yeah, that's, he wants to, be, they want to be part of, um, they want to be part of OPEC. Yeah. So. And buy low uh, now on, uh, before the Ico IPO. <laughs> that's a lot of acronyms. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. OPEC, IPO, Ico, IPO. Yeah. Yeah. It's all happening. Okay, so Spencer also wants to know about Frank's deal with Jane. Frank was playing some real hardball with Jane in regards to testifying in front of the committee while giving Jane what she wanted in order to elevate Claire to the presidency. What do you predict Frank got in exchange for the resignation? What did Jane get out of it besides her girl breaking the glass ceiling and becoming leader of the free world? What do you think that Frank got out of this? We saw them down making that deal and she said, like, uh, well, like, uh, what do you want? He's like, oh, well, you make me an offer. And uh, it's it's got to be a good one. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is because it's it's not going to be money. It's not a job. You know, the only thing that is valuable to Frank is power and information. So it's some sort of either withholding information that she was going to release or giving him information um, but I just don't know, you know, I hope we do get clarity on what that was. Cause I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- you know, their deal might've been, they are making it look like the deal was that, you know, what he's giving Jane Davis is that he's going to resign, but that 
might be all part of this plan and isn't necessarily what he promised her. Okay. That's just the way it's edited together. Uh, I I don't know what exactly uh, that he is looking for from Jane Davis or, I mean, could it be that he will give her the war that she wants, but it seems like that he was already on board with that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's um, Syrian baby. <laughs> he gives her the Syrian baby. Yes. Yeah. The Syrian baby she always wanted. Oh, that, that would... grew up to be Doug. <laughs> time traveling Doug time traveling Doug you know uh, we've talked a little bit throughout this season certain episodes have a running theme that goes through them um, and it's almost like you're watching an episode of Pee Wee Herman and they have their like word of the day that makes mm-hmm. everybody go crazy um, and, and it's I don't know if it's something that, that this show has had in other seasons but definitely with the new showrunners that's something they're focused on and um, I was able to pick up on what that running theme was in this episode I don't know if you were what was it so it's money in this money one. Okay. We get lots of talk about money throughout this whole episode, and some characters' money is important to them, and other characters' money is not the important thing to them. Mm-hmm. So we get, you know, right off the bat, early in the episode, we get talk about oil trading for fifty dollars a barrel. Um, we get talk about Nasir and how he wants. Is that to good be- or no? Fifty dollars a barrel is low, or fifty dollars a barrel is high? I think fifty dollars a barrel is low. I feel like it's usually like in the sixties, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Oil got too cheap. Yeah, I think it got over a hundred dollars at one point too. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's low. The, you know, they talk about Nasir wants to be uh, trading with OPEC, and and there's money there. Um, there's money a couple other parts throughout this um, throughout this episode, but then we really get the the cap on it all during the conversation between Jane Davis and Frank. Where she offers Frank, you know, a great, she says, you get a very lucrative position as a former president, we'll take care of you. And he turns her down because that money and, and that sort of power is not what he's after. Yeah, he doesn't need Jane Davis for that. Yeah. So, okay. um, you know, it's definitely something that was a theme throughout this episode. And I'm curious if there is going to be a word of the day in the finale. All right, we'll see. What about the season? A word of the day for the season? A theme for the season. Um, Lying, maybe winning, um, but you could point to a lot of different things. I mean, we've seen um, just the the presidency is like a hot potato this season in the way it's changed hands, or okay. at least seems like it's going to change hands. So maybe it's hot potato. <laughs> I think that yeah, hot potato is the theme. <laughs> yeah, if we see everybody sitting down for a like a nice baked potato dinner in the last episode, <laughs> we'll know that was the theme. Okay. Boy, this is not a very nice dinner that we're having right now. A hot, <laughs> uh, one potato. You will eat your potato and you will like it. <laughs> At least we cooked it. Everybody's like, oh, well, I don't want this. I don't want this. Like, uh, no, that's the theme. That's the point. Okay. <laughs> it's too hot. It's too hot. Spencer has uh, one other question for you about, he doesn't remember the chain of executive secession at the top of his head, but who gets to be the vice president, assuming Claire Underwood becomes president? Any chance it's Frank backsliding back into his old season two role or is that opinion not even on the table? For a real-life comparison, could you imagine if Bill Clinton had resigned and not finished his own presidency during the Monica Lewinsky scandal and then become Hillary's vice president if she had picked him for a running mate and then won the 2016 election? 
Uh, so first of all, I, I'm not sure necessarily if you finish out your term or if it's winning two terms. I'm not sure exactly how that would work. But to speak to the first part of this, I do believe that the new president gets to name a new vice president. It's not like the Speaker of the House slides into the vice president role and just moves up a slot. The new president will appoint a new vice president. Yeah, that is right. Because, um, you know, Donald Blythe was chosen by Frank when he became president. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't remember if there were any parameters around who he could choose or if he could choose anybody. Uh, it, that doesn't seem like a great way for Claire to endear herself to the public if she just picks Frank as her, you know, this this resigned president. I don't think we'll get that in this finale. I, it's the kind of thing where Claire sticks. I think that that will be a character in season six. Yeah, that would be interesting to see who her vice president ends up being. Would it be Jane Davis? I don't think so. I mean, Jane Davis is to go from like what what nobody like Deputy just like some like behind yeah. the scenes to yeah person. I don't think it's a character that's currently on the show. Alex Romero, that would be that would be scary. Oh, why they why would they want him? No, in yeah, there? I think Romero fell on his face this episode a little bit. Yeah. I think, if anything, when season six comes on, it's a new character and uh, some new casting or somebody that's really just off the board. Yeah, that would be interesting. Jackie Sharp comes back. Yeah, I, I think they could figure out some way. But, you know, she's already mired in a scandal. So I don't know if there's anybody that has a good enough reputation that they could bring yeah. them in. I was thinking at first that we were going to have to go pretty down far down the secession order if um, you know, if it does just go based on what presidential secession is because um, Kathy Durant is out of the picture right now. But I think the Speaker of the House would come before Secretary of State anyways. And I, th- yeah, think, it definitely yeah, and I does. think Speaker of the House is um, Birch. But I'm not maybe that I might not be right, though. OK. All right. Uh, Mar writes to us and says, Robin Zach. Could you write a eulogy for everyone's favorite speechwriter? Is there anything to say about Tom Yates besides that he was clearly the LVP of season five? <laughs> Did he do anything except die this season? He mumbled a lot of lines and made me have to turn the captions on. So he did that. Yeah. Uh, he's a great hider. He was very good at hide and seek, a champion in his in his youth at hide and seek and could hide for hours. Three hours he could hide for. He was really dumb. He was motivated by what his love of Claire Underwood. Yeah. I, you know, I think he was always trying to finish that book, right? It's the novel. He never mm-hmm. could come up with the ending for. And so he needed to immerse himself in the Underwood administration to really finish that book. And then he finished it, completed his work and then died. Right. And he really uh, got famous for a different book that he like stole from somebody, mm-hmm. right? Like he like put his name on somebody else's work and put it out there. And then this was going to be his great work where he was going to write this behind the scenes story of the Underwoods. But to me, that I think that his character never worked because he was in love with Claire Underwood, but then he was also hooking up with all these other different women and I, it didn't like it wasn't even like, oh, well, he's drinking and when he drinks, he gets out of control. Like that was really reckless what he was doing. So it's hard to sort of see him as this character who just pined for Claire Underwood and she was sort of freezing him out. I mean, that he just had sex with this tour guide for no reason. Yeah, She's going to be devastated when she finds out about this. She'll be upset. Yeah. So I do think he was as some of that was acting out. I think he knew he was going to get caught. He knew he was being watched. 
and he was acting out, you know, for attention, like a, you know, like a bad child or a bad dog. But attention from who? That he never like rubbed it in Claire's face of what he did. Did he just like miscalculate that Frank was going to tell her? Yeah, or maybe it's a power move. Um, you know, sex is about power. He was doing this to show Claire that she doesn't have control over him. Right. Like she's so cold to him that he was just going to act out just to get her mad because at least that would be negative attention. Yeah. Something okay. like that. All right. Uh, and then finally, Johnny DeSavera says, uh, make sure after you two watch this one, when you're recapping it, include a death prediction list. Okay, we had a major or a semi-major death in this episode in Yates. This is a show that doesn't do a ton of deaths. I mean, there have been uh, characters that have been uh, wiped off the board. But is this the case, Zach, where we got our season five character death in the penultimate episode? No, I think we're going to get a death of some sort in the next episode. Hammerschmidt? Why? Because he's a, he is a, you know, he's a big loose end for Frank. If if they could just wipe Hammerschmidt off the board, that would, that would handle a lot of the problems for the Underwoods. I think that would create more problems. I mean, Doug is taking the fall that we had Green testify about the laptop. Uh, I feel like that Hammerschmidt is taken care of. Yeah, that, I guess that is true. The testimony from each of those people did kind of address. Green addressed one area of the leak. Uh, Leanne addressed another area of the leak. So, I don't yeah, think I mean, there'll be a death in the finale. You don't think we're going to get a death at all? I think if there was anybody that died in the finale, my pick would be Doug. Yeah, I think Doug is a good pick. I think Doug has come to a point where he could die, um, which is where his story has gone. Although, I think there's some more there's more potential of the Doug and Leanne relationship that we're just starting to see some of this blossom. Sure. But if Doug, and it could be a suicide, if Doug blows his brains out, that really does uh, fix a lot of problems for the Underwoods. Yeah. Although I don't think he's going to blow his brains out because that's what McAllen did. That is what McAllen did, but, or if they could sort of like make it look like you sort of like the Pete Russo special, that would really uh, help out the Underwoods. Yeah. Um, That's true. I mean, what if we get, terror attack what if we get an actual attack to start off the finale right and then you think that one of our principal characters could die in the terror attack mm-hmm. uh doesn't really feel like this show to me no it's a little bit actiony for this show although um you know they've done they've done things like that before so to have a character die from something that is not necessarily their own fault it, it seems like it's a little bit just like a divine intervention into this universe. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, we'll I, I don't think so. All right. Here's what I want to do. We're going to stop down here. This is going to be the final of our three shows in a row in uh, this uh, jam-packed 62, 63, 64. Uh, the show, to me, is really uh, coming in hot going into the finale. We've really it's picked things potato. up to a crescendo. I really, I, I think everything the uh, post-election, I think that this uh, second half of the season has been a lot better than the first half. Yeah, I agree. And we talked early in the season how would the show have been better if they would have just had the election wrapped up at the end of the last season. Um, And it does seem like things just got much more interesting once the election storyline was done. Yeah, because I feel like that the 
weakest stuff of the season definitely was, you know, where, oh, it was the general's plan that they ultimately were trying to fake out acting President Underwood and everybody had to go into the bunker. And then, oh, Frank is going to go out to go to try to convince Tusk and all of the uh, wealthy Illuminati type figures about what to do. And then the Mark Zuckerberg is crying and is like, I don't want my friend to win. So that was, I think, the stuff where, uh, you know, we were just sort of like spinning our wheels uh, to some degree. But everything since ultimately the election happened and was finished was really exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, you know, it, it is funny to think about that stuff. It feels like it was a long time ago. And I think we talked about it probably like a week ago. So it wasn't even that long in the past. But um, every, you know, after the election, that was when we really started having these jam packed episodes where we had tons of pages and notes and there was a lot to follow. So um, it's it's been a lot of fun these last few episodes. Okay, so good stuff in House of Cards. I'm going to give out the email address, hoc at postshowrecaps.com. What we're going to do is that we'll wait a couple days, try to get this podcast out for you guys, and then we will most likely record our finale podcast sometime around, uh, what, the uh, 21st, 22nd, 23rd of June, sometime in that area. Yep, yeah, sometime in the middle to late next week. Okay, so we will uh, record that show around then. And uh, so we'll give you guys a chance to get your finale questions into us. HOC at postshowrecaps.com. All right, Zach, what's the hashtag for Chapter 64? Well, I've got a couple options. I don't know if you have any. Yeah, what do you um, got? I got Time Traveling Doug. Time Traveling Doug, yes. Slip, slipping Kathy. Slipping Kathy. Or Hot Potato. Hot Potato. I also had Underwood Tones. Oh, yeah, Underwood Tones. That was also good. <laughs> okay, what do you like? Hot potato? I like hot potato, even though it really hot has nothing to theory? do with... Hot potato theory? Yeah. Yeah, hot potato theory. <laughs> okay, go for, let's, let's go for that. Let's see how many uh, potatoes... They, they should have made, really, uh, uh, Idaho the swing state, if that was the case. Yeah, I don't know if Idaho will ever be this... You know, then it would just be, like, way too unrealistic. If Idaho yeah, well, how many electoral state. college votes do they have? <laughs> yeah, two, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody will tell us in their tweets, I'm sure. Uh, did you notice Robin Wright, uh, directed this episode as well? I, you know, I didn't notice, uh, but Johnny DeSavera pointed that out in his email. I do feel like that all of the episodes that she's directed have all been, uh, really great ones. Yeah, no, she, I, you know, wonder if she'll ever get into directing any, uh, any major movies or anything like that. Yeah. So she did wonder a really Woman good job. Two. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they did fine with Wonder Woman one. I don't know if they need to bring Robin Wright in to direct the second one, but she well, did a she great was- job. She was in Wonder Woman, so oh, I didn't even slide. know that. Yeah, she was in it, uh, so she could just slide over to the director's chair for the second uh, for the second movie. Okay, well, uh, good job by Robin Wright. Of course, a uh, great job by Zach Brooks. You could follow Zach on Twitter. He's at Brooks Z A. I'm at Rob Sister. Anything you want to say before we sign off before the finale? The secret word of the day is money. Money. Okay. And of course, uh, kudos to Alex Kidwell, who's been editing all of these shows. Uh, Thanks so much to Alex. Looking forward to uh, chatting about the House of Cards season five finale in our next edition of the House of Cards podcast. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.